0: yo what's going on everybody welcome back it is a brand new episode of liam picks fights presents bets and banter and we're talking of course about ufc 295 this week if you're new here my name's liam i pick fights here on the channel each and every week mostly focusing on the ufc and big fights in the combat sports sphere but we also have a great guest uh, on a weekly recurring basis on bets and banter his name is rich just win, baby, back in the building. Last week coming off that Dolby win, I feel like I should be wearing a Denmark soccer jersey or something out of respect for the man. But either way, a really good week that we're coming off of last week and a couple good reads that didn't go our way as well, like Eliza zaleski Dos Santos. So overall, just felt good to get back on track a couple winning weeks in a row. A lot of momentum coming into UFC 295. And just looking at the historic results on Bet MMA. One of my best uh, crop of fighters ever in my history of doing this. It's like 36.5 units of track profit on these fighters. So Lord willing, we'll keep that ball rolling this week. And we've brought one of the best in the business to do it with us. His name, Rich. What's up, buddy? You're muted, my man. Go on ahead and mute. Unmute. Unmute.
1: Oh, shit. Um, yeah, sorry. My mic's fucked this week. So um, I have to remember to keep on muting myself. Yeah, we owe Dalby a drink. Great performance. Um, went down pretty much to a T as um, I thought it would. Um, had the ITD, degenned a bit of the KO at some stupid 1800. So it was brilliant, man. Shame Zaleski didn't come through. Um, the draw was probably the right decision, man. Um, it was a back and forth uh, war between the two. But yeah, ready for this card, man. Got some big bets. Um, both from a betting perspective and just watching it as a fan. This is an awesome card, man. So. Yeah, ready to break this shit down
0: couldn't agree more and where better than the garden the place that many legends have been built we're in the heart of new york uh msg baby so without further ado let's get into it with the first fight of the night man we've got dennis bazooka taking on jamal emmers and one of the last uh you know Basically, fight tape blocks that I watched before this show, Rich, was Jamal Emmers because I wanted to make sure I gave him his credit. You know, I wanted to make sure I did my due diligence. And listen, he's not a bad fighter at all. He can box. He's got some skills. But you look at the results overall, they're just not there. Uh, as a favorite, it's particularly striking, right? One in four in the UFC as a favorite. Uh, and I'm talking about if you include the contender series result where he was knocked out in the second round by Julian Arosa, Juicy J, another good fighter, serviceable, but certainly nothing to write home about. Kind of a 50-50 type guy uh, at best at the UFC level, maybe slightly below that. So when you look at a guy like this in Jamal Emmers, I think that he's a little bit of a busted prospect, Rich. And again, I don't say that um, you know to be mean or disparaging, but when he came in, he was a guy that was fighting in these nip fights with Julian Arosa loses that one, okay, gets into the UFC, doesn't really have the results, you know, doesn't really have the wins that blow your hair back. The Vince Cachero, you know, he comes close to the Giga Chikadze win, but it was like an IQ test. Are so you going to go out there and wrestle? He only remembers that that's an option by round three, you know. There's just a lot of things that, for me, have spelled um, problems with the Jamal Embers side. And on the Dennis Bazooka side, there's not a ton to love, right? I don't think Dennis Bazooka is the next UFC champion, but what I do like about him is he's tough. He's game. He wants to be there. And he's going to try and throw down and get in this guy's face. You know, I think the last time out, what we saw, Rich, was a botched weight cut. He was fighting a big, awkward, long guy. And when I watched back Dennis Bazooka's prior fights, he can normally push it into round two, into round three, and really make somebody work. But just didn't seem like he had his best there. What I thought Julian Arosa did to win that fight with Jamal Embers, he landed some good knees, some good kicks. I'll give him that credit. But a lot of those were blocked. It was just that he made it a brawl. He pushed Emers backwards, and Emers didn't like that. He threw back some hard counters. He tried to dissuade him, but you could just tell that he was getting more and more discouraged the more that Arosa would walk him down, talk to him, point at himself, whatever he was doing, and I just feel like Bazooka in New York with a crowd going crazy for him. I think he's going to try and walk this guy down, get in his grill, box with him, put pressure on him, take him down, and I don't know that I could trust a guy like Jamal Emers who's on a surgically repaired knee. And he's a guy that the judges have just seemed to hate throughout the course of his UFC career. So for me, shout out the sharpest chat in the game and everybody who's rocking with us here. But I just have to go with the dog shot on Dennis Bazooka. Got better numbers earlier in the week. You shouted it out last week. So Rich, go on ahead and say if there's any uh, things that you think I missed. But I I think that this is a Dennis Bazooka or pass situation. Nothing wrong with, um, you know, passing on the fight. But I just think that at these big plus 200 indications, You know, Dennis wasn't this big an underdog on very short notice with a botched weight cut against a guy who was bigger, longer and a little bit more dangerous in Woodson. So for me, those are a couple of factors that I'm considering. What do you think, Rich?
1: Um, Yeah, we did tip it out at the end of the show last week. Um, It was 270 at that time. I think it's sitting around plus 200 now, um, maybe 220 at best. I do think come fight night, um, maybe when Emma's misses weight, it's going to be around plus 160, something like that. Um, and yeah, I will be a bit disparaging towards Emma's because he pissed me off, man. Especially in that Jenkins fight, um, he's supposed to be this wrestler, and we just didn't see it until the third round. Um, I'm not a fan of Jenkins. Faded, faded him against Chepe, and uh, I finally um, got to fade that bomb and you know cash that ticket, whether it was a freak injury or not. Um, We got the win, and um, that should have been Emma's, man. Emma should have pushed the wrestling. Could have got a submission easy. Didn't try and do it until the third round. Um, But all of his wrestling accolades, he doesn't offensively wrestle, which pisses me off. Um, And now I'm going to take full advantage of it, man. Dennis Bazooka is going to fuck him up. He probably will TKO him along the way. Um, The number's stupid. I guess people are putting a lot of stock into the the short-notice fight for Bazooka against Woodson. But if you look at his um, pedigree, Bazooka, I think it's impressive, man. And I do think he could be a possible um, top 10 fighter in the division. I think he's uh, well rounded, got a well rounded game. He's got a chin, he's shown that. Um, he's got experience. He was the Ring of Combat champ. I like that organization um, for New York. You know, some good fighters have come out of there. And um, yeah, he's a serv- serviceable guy, man, Bazooka. Um, and Emma's, like I say, I think he's going to get cut in this one, to be honest. I think this is the last fight in his contract. He hasn't really done much of anything. Um, you know, people want to put stock in the Giga fight because he went to a split decision to, with him. But I watched the fight. Um, easily could have been a unanimous for um, Giga. Emma's didn't really do much of anything in that fight either. Um, he's fighting at a bum gym. He's flying now to New York. Usually he's in Vegas, you know, a, a short flight from Cali. I think that might affect him, and I think that's going to contribute to a possible weight miss for um, Emma's. Um, but we'll see on that whether he misses weight or not. I still think Bazooka's going to um, get the win here. So the number's crazy. You can't be laying the chalk on Emma's. Um, you might as well take a shot on Bazooka. Just throw a unit on him. Um, even if he, even if it loses, man, there's value there. And um, yeah, everyone should be taking the shot in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree, man. And the numbers come down, you know, I think plus 230 is maybe the best that you can get now on the bazooka side. It's kind of come up and down a little bit. But um, again, I just think at a 30% indication, a guy who's shown is very difficult to put out of there, Melsik Bagdasarian, guy who unloaded on him with heavy shots, wasn't able to close the show. So I feel like bazooka uh, is worth a click here, but With that being said, we can move to the next fight, my man, because we've got Joshua Van taking on Kevin Borjas. And I think this is a fantastic fight. You know, you got two guys well-matched here, both very young in the game. Uh, Joshua Van, I bet him last time out. He was a plus 180 underdog against Zalgis Zumagulov. And Zalgus is another guy kind of like Jamal Embers, right? The judges don't like him, just can't seem to get one over on them. Right. And also, he was a guy that I didn't know where his motivation was at. I didn't really know um, if people were just buying into the new haircut uh, or the skills and the fight acumen. So I just think that when you look at a guy like Josh Van, he is potentially being overvalued in this spot. It's not to say he's not a good fighter. I think he's a good fighter. I think he's a prospect. And I think that he could go out there and live up to the hype here. But. Last time out, Borjas was fighting a guy who's a little bit more seasoned in my view, Victor Diaz, a guy that had some acclaim, Pantoja's training partner, all this stuff, and I thought Victor Diaz was going to win that fight. And instead, Victor Diaz mostly got his takedowns denied when he got the takedowns. He wasn't able to work with them uh, very well. Borjas able to get back up to his feet. And I just, I believe he just got his uh, purple belt in Luta Livre. Uh, I think he's been working on his ground game to the extent that he can. So I don't know that he's a guy who's going to have a great ground game here. That's my biggest fear on the Van side is that he takes it to the mat. But these are two young guys. They both prefer to strike. And I think that if it plays out as a primary striking fight, I think it's anybody's decision to win. I think Van, I would make a minus 125 favorite. I think he's got a little bit more hand speed. I think he's got uh, more interesting combinations with the head kicks uh, that follow. But Borjas throws really hard body shots. Um, You know, Van's only 22 years of age. I always think that sometimes uh, it's like a detriment to be this young uh, in a fight career. It's not to say that he can't do it. Uh, Obviously, 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds, they win when they're fighting 30-year-olds, 35-year-olds. They're a lot faster. They're a little bit more durable. But I just look at this spot as a guy who's fully physically developed in Borjas and just got a big win as an underdog. He's now being placed as a big underdog again, whereas Josh Van... Got a surprising win as a dog to most people split decision and now he's being entrenched as a minus 225 favorite so for me it would always be a dog or pass situation for me in this spot um but i do think van interesting prospect bright future uh i bet him last time right so it's not like i don't think i the guy i just think that now the pendulum's gone in the other direction now he's the hot prospect oh my god he almost knocked out zogus a couple guys almost did that. You know, a couple guys have hurt Zalgis. Uh And even a few guys have finished August. I think if uh, if I'm not mistaken, Manel Cap put him out, right? So um, he's a guy that's tough and durable, but he's a guy that also has looked like he was on a downward trend leading up to that Joshua Van fight. So for me, Rich, uh, this is a, a fight where it's a dogger pass situation on the money line. Um, but I think Van by sub, if it's, you know, over five to one, is it, probably an interesting number. Um, and I think both of these guys could be liable to submissions. You know, I think Van probably good offensive, um, you know, first layer defense, but if they get into extended grappling exchanges, I'm not confident either one of them has great defense because Van, if I'm not mistaken, has only been doing jujitsu a handful of years. So athletic guy picking up on it quick, but I just think you you get your back taken and you haven't really been in those situations a lot. You could make a, a critical error and get finished. So uh, the ends by sub, if it's a similar price, I would take a look at as well. What do you think about this one, Rich?
1: Yeah, i will never bet on Borjas ever um, just because of the uh, grappling um, problem that he's got. We've seen that in the Dana White Contender Series um, fight. He wasn't really fighting anybody special and he got took down. You know, it's rinse and repeat. Um, just massive holes in his game. I don't think he's fixed that problem either. Um, Van doesn't offensively wrestle. Um, so for the sub to hit, it would likely have to be a club and sub but the sub is plus 500 which is wide in my opinion it should be around about plus 200 considering how big of a favorite van opened so i am interested in van by submission um i'll probably try and be cute and pick the rounds maybe two or three something like that to get even an even bigger number um but i'm not betting big on this it'll only be like a quarter of a unit on or something on each round um, just to have a bit of action on the fight but yeah, Borjas does throw harder. He is the more educated striker. I like the liver shot he throws, um, the, the left um, the body shot that he throws. But Van's faster, man. Um, so, yeah, I think Van will likely get a finish. This is one of the fights that Dana highlighted on his Now You Know videos. Um, he picked two fights, and this was one of them. Usually, they end in the distance, and I think Van's got the finishing upside, man. Um, I just think he'd be too fast in there against Borjas, who hasn't really fought good competition. Um, and, yeah, that uh, ground game, um, it's just too bad, man, to be putting money on Borjas. But money's coming in on him, so people disagree, man. Uh, we'll see how that ends up. But, yeah, that's my pick, man.
0: Yeah, Borjas has been on a bit of a roll, man. That, that for me, was something that stood out. Um, you know, And I, I do think he's getting better every fight. At 25, I wouldn't be surprised if he continues to improve. and. One thing I always think about is fighters that get access to more resources. Like you win a Dana White Contender Series fight, probably getting more sponsorship, probably getting a little bit more visibility and a little bit more financial support. Um, so, you know, for that reason, I think, you know, uh, take that information and read between the lines. You
1: know what you get when you win a Dana White's Contender Series fight? A bottle of howl ahead and a fucking 8K contract, man. That's it.
0: You don't get that much, but I'm telling you, dude, it's a big step up in somebody's career and how much their management takes them seriously, all that stuff. So um, really good fight here. And I'm excited to see who comes out on top. Next up, we got Kyung Ho Kang taking on John Castaneda. It says 138 pounds on topology. I'm sure that's just a mistake. But in any case, um, it's an interesting fight here where, uh, you know, Castaneda, he's a guy that I Bet him before, uh, as an underdog, I think he was plus 195 against Miles Johns. Um, you know, great spot there. But you look at how Said Magomedov treated Muin Gafrov, and I don't think that that tape ages, uh, necessarily great. You know, Gafrov made it a very competitive fight there, and um, you know, similar with my guy Chad and Hellinger, uh, Gafrov. Kind of his ceiling is making it really close and competitive and losing a decision, uh, sometimes in those big spots, at least what we've seen so far. Maybe that changes in the future, but that was a, a great line. And and uh, you you popped uh Pepe, your co host there with that, uh, comment about the Howler head and the 8k contract. But in any case, um, you know, Kyung Ho Kang, pretty seasoned UFC guy, you know, uh, been around for a while. Um, I do think his chin a little bit sketchy at times, but. Uh, only been knocked out once officially, you know, so he does a good job recovering. We kind of talk about sometimes there's guys that get clipped, but they can recover really well. Uh, and I think that that's the case with Kang. And last time out, was able to drop his opponent, secure that rear naked choke, did a good job against Quinones. I didn't really expect that. I thought Quinones might come through, younger prospect in that spot. And Kang showed he still wants to be out there. He's still willing to get hit and keep coming forward. Uh, oh, Dixon Cider with the shout out castaneda asked for a catchweight with the red flags so maybe that 138 is real maybe castaneda is struggling to make this weight class and if that's the case uh i would think that that even might tilt the scale a little more in the favor of kyung ho kang because you never know why somebody's asking for a catchweight it could be ankle injury can't run whatever it is uh or just illness sickness i i'm not getting the weight off like i wanted uh oh when he had bronchitis okay interesting. So I'll I'll look into that a little bit more. But Rich, why don't you take over here? What do you think about this fight uh, and anything worth getting involved in from a betting perspective?
1: Um, Yeah, I don't think he's injured or anything. I just think he's had too many burritos, man. Um, He's had catch weights in the past, um, John has. And I was torn on this fight, man. I think it could go one or two ways. I think Kang um, has success on the feet. And the only way Castaneda wins this fight is if he implements takedowns, puts Kang on his back and runs down the clock for a decision. I don't think he can finish Kang. So if you're going to play John Castaneda, you might as well take the decision line. I don't know what it is. I imagine 130, something like that. Um, but now with the um, the weight miss, man, I'd be inclined to take Kang by KO at plus 1100. Um, I've always seen him as a submission guy. But when I went back and watched the tape, man, it it surprised me. He's got nice hands, man. I like his um, composure in there. He got tagged um, a couple of times in some of the bouts and, you know, didn't lose his head, um, shook it off, and he was straight back in the pocket looking to throw down. Um, He's an educated striker, very technical, in my opinion. Um, He's big for the weight class. He's got a three-inch height advantage in this one and what i don't like about john is he puts his back to the cage man and that plays into the hands of kang who likes to take the center of the cage so um yeah if john doesn't take him down in this one like if you don't see that in round one it's a good live betting spot um because i think kang could take over um i think everyone's probably going to think this ends in split just because kang's had a few of them in his um career but yeah it's pretty black and white to me um castaneda by decision or um kang by however he wants man so, um yeah, John better take him down in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a great note, Rich. If you look, uh, the only guys that have beaten him since 2013 are Ricardo Ramos and Hani Yaya. Granted, he's not the most active guy. He doesn't fight all that often. But just when you look at those guys, what do they have in common? Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu acumen. You know, they're just guys that are very tested on the ground. And Castaneda... You know, he's gotten the better of uh, let's go back and look at the record. He got the better of Muin Gafrov, a guy who's kind of struggled with that wrestling and grappling at times, almost got guillotined by my boy, Chad and Hellinger, um, Daniel Santos. He, he got finished in that fight. Um, Miles Johns, a guy that I think his cardio is normally what lets him down. He's got pretty good wrestling, but I don't think it's jujitsu, anything to write home about either. Um, so for me, those are, you know, fine wins, but nothing crazy, right? Eddie Wineland. An- another one, guy who's just a little bit past his prime, Nathaniel Wood, forgivable loss, but another guy who is not even in the weight class anymore, right? He's at 145 losing to my guy Naima for the for the bag. So in any case, I'm just looking at at the uh, body of work. And before he got to the UFC, split decision loss to Jose Alde, unanimous decision loss to Levi Metaquin. Are these things that are blowing my hair back? You know? No. So I think the Castaneda, good fighter, but am I willing to get behind him at big chalk? No, I'm not. Uh, at, at the dog prices he was against Miles John. sure, I'll take a ride with him. He's a tough guy. He wants to fight, but um, especially requesting the catch weight, I do agree. That's a red flag for me. Um, You know, it's like missing weight before the fight has even happened. You know, it's like, I, I'm not, I'm not even going to try. Um, So uh, interesting note there. But in any case, we can move to the next fight here, Rich, Where Ms. or excuse me, where Jared Gordon is taking on Mark O Madsen. This is a interesting spot because on the one hand, we know that Jared Gordon, New York guy, Henzo Gracie guy, stand up and represent. Um, but what we're looking at on the other side here is an Olympic wrestler in Mark Madsen, a uh, guy that has a Greco Roman background, very physically strong. You look at his Pre-UFC tape, there were times he choked a guy out by like picking him up off the ground like he was a sack of potatoes, ragdolling him around and just throwing him. Um, you know, he probably could have picked that guy up and taken him out of the octagon, like I like to joke about people. But in any case, I'm just looking at the fact that Jared Gordon is a little bit of a tweener in my view. You know, Rich, he used to fight at 145, missed weight a bunch of times. So they were like, dude, we can't keep doing this. He's like, All right, no problem, go up to 155. And I had said before the pinbut fight, if you remember, I was like, listen. I like Jared Gordon as much as the next guy. I think he's going to go out there and make this an honest competitive scrap and get screwed on the cards. And the reason they put him in there is because he doesn't knock anybody out. Um, you know, just in the, in his recent run, he I think he has one finish in the UFC, maybe two. So that has been the problem for Jared historically. I thought for sure, Rich, he was going to finish Leo Santos. I was like, if there's anybody he could finish, the guy's 41, the guy's clinging to life. Um, Grant Dawson finished him in round three. Like, I just was like, this is a guy that he's going to take out of there. And we saw that conservative approach you know beat him up definitely got a clear win right nobody was left in doubt but i did think it left a little bit to be desired for me from a finishing instinct standpoint from jared i just thought he should have closed the show on that guy but in this fight right marco madsen was training with a world-class team at fight ready camp i really respect now he's back over uh in denmark i believe um so Shout out to our guy, Nicholas Dalby, right? I said we should be wearing the Denmark soccer jerseys. I don't want to get in front of this Denmark warrior uh, who does have the Olympic background, who is a good athlete. Um, but I do think that there could be interesting props on the fight um, that I'll let you get into. But when I look at the, the Jerry Gordon side, I think that he's got good boxing. He's pretty crisp there. The only concern I have about him is his chin long-term. He does get clipped. He has been hurt before, but I think a lot of that can be contextualized. He's been fouled in some of these fights and then finished. He got headbutted and knocked out. So he's just been like the bad luck bears. You know, he just can't get uh, a win across the finish line. So I'm praying it's not a draw here or something, right? Let's just get him a completed bout uh, that's fairly officiated in, uh, in the year of our Lord 2023. And I'll be happy with that, but Rooting for our guy, Jerry Gordon, not going to lay the minus 200 here. The line's kind of blown out a little bit at minus 175. I was sitting there scratching the beard, but uh, I'll probably leave this one alone. I do think Jerry Gordon is going to get the win. But I do think it could look dicey. You know, I think Marco Madsen, his best chance to win, Rich, and you could tell me if you agree or disagree here, is to bull rush him in the first round and try and knock him out. Because I do think Marco Madsen is built like a horse. And when he's fresh, he hits really hard. You know, nothing's technical about it. You don't need to be. He's just out there swanging and banging. And I think he could take out Jerry Gordon. But conversely, I don't think he has the cardio to do that for 15 minutes. Uh, I think that that kind of showed a little bit in his last performance as well. So, Rich, turning it over to you, what do you think about this one?
1: Yeah, a couple of things, man. Um, You're dead right. If Mark wanted to win this one, he should just go all out in round one and try and get the finish the KO. Because the longer the fight goes on, Jared will impose himself and uh, probably get a finish in round two or three, man. I don't think Mark Madsen is a, quote unquote, a fighter. I think he was a wrestler who uh, had nothing to do after he finished his career. So he came into MMA. Um, but yeah, I just see him as a, a wrestler with an overhand right, man. Um, he's been fortunate with some of the matchups he's had. Most of them have ever been against like wrestlers. Um, Clay Guida. that was an early fight for him. But the problem here is he's got one foot out the door, man. Like you said, he's been in Morocco or back to Denmark or wherever with his family. Um, obviously, he's got reasons for that, which is fair play. But I think he's got one foot out the door. It will not surprise me if he retires after taking the L here. I do think the chances of him winning this fight are very low. I don't like playing the chalk on Gordon, but how can you not, man? I think Madsen's got a puncher's chance like anybody has in any fight. But what's likely to happen is it's going to be a feel-em-out round in round one. And then Jared's just going to fuck him, man, in round two or three. Um, It could be a submission. It could be a KO. ITD is plus 300. Um, Jared usually struggles with athletic guys with good stand-up and Madsen just hasn't got it, man. He's got a right hand, that's it. Um, getting pieced up by Dawson was a bit pathetic, to be honest. Um, Dawson landed like 10 calf kicks in a row, and he didn't check any of them, didn't change his you know, distance on them, and he, he fell to the ground. Dawson got on him and uh, got the sub shortly after. So, yeah, if Javid's watched his tape, man, calf kicks will be there, um, but I don't think he needs it. I know he hasn't got a lot of finishes, Gordon, but he does have power in his right hand, man. And um, I think he's going to connect on Madsen. He's not going to like it, and he's going to shut up. And uh, Gordon will get a finish in this fight. Um, yeah, that's about it, man. Um, he's not a fight ready anymore. Um, that's a bit alarming, doing his own thing. I've seen him on Instagram, riding a bike, doing some deadlifts. Um, I don't see that's going to help him improve in, in any way. So he's just maintaining his fitness. Showing up for a paycheck, Um, good for him. He's a family man, man. Make that money. Uh, But he's going to take an L here.
0: Yeah, Sean Orr would say, you know, you can't be on the bike. Once we see on the bike, we know that the cardio is not going to be up to snuff. Um, And the other thing I'll say is Jared Gordon does fit a long-term criteria for me, which is a – younger fighter with more professional experience in MMA. Um, so he is 35 here fighting a 39-year-old. I do think there's an athletic disparity, but to your point, Rich, not sure that the cardio dynamic is going to say that Matson can push that athletic edge for the full 15 minutes, especially if he's not um, you know, fully conditioned training with UFC guys. I do think he did a camp with Nasrat Hakperaz somewhere, so he's gotten some kind of work in with UFC fighters, but um, you know my thoughts on Nasrat if you've listened to the show for a long time. Not a huge fan of his work, so. Uh, with, with that being said, we can move to the next fight, my man, where we've got Nazim Sadikov taking on Vyeslav Borshev. And this is a fight where, you know, upon doing a little bit more research, um, I, I just don't feel like I could get on board with the chalk here on Sadikov, you know, um, a guy that I thought Evan Elder was going to win, uh, the fight against him. You know, I had, I, I think I even bet Evan Elder in that spot. I don't have my bet MMA pulled up in front of me. So I'll pull that up as we're speaking here or. Uh, perhaps after I throw it to you, Rich, but when I just look at uh, the body of work from both of these guys, you know, I think Nazim Sadikov is a fine fighter. He's putting together a decent set of skills. You know, he's overperformed my expectations along the way. I thought McKinney might get him in round one. You know, I was impressed that he was able to come through in that second round. Um, And I thought that he showed good composure. You know, one of the things that I do like is that when he was in a bad spot in the grappling, he didn't panic. That's what a lot of people do. And that's why people get finished most of the time in grappling is like, Oh my God, he has my back. Like you have to stay patient. Um, and so I think that he did a good job of that. But additionally, he's lost a lot of rounds now in the UFC, right? And he's chalked out as a favorite. We've seen Borshev lose rounds as well, but we haven't seen Sadakov push that wrestling and grappling. Certainly not to great effect, right? Counter wrestled McKinney, who's a known gasser got the finish there. I mean, my hat's off to him, but I just don't know that that's representative, right? Bonfim kind of just had like a layup, like running jump knee uh, by round two because McKinney had slowed down uh, and was putting his back against the fence. So I just think that this is a fight where, you know, Borshev at plus money is probably the side. Um, Now, is there a world in which it's a Mark D'Casey, uh, you know, just grind out 15-minute top performance? I do actually see that as a possibility. Sara Longo is not full of dummies. They don't win world titles because they're, uh, you know, not prepared for fights. But I just think that you can only do so much for your fighter. And I don't know that Nazim's going to go out there and push the wrestling and, and the grappling and without evidence to say that he will. I would favor Slava in a pure striking fight here uh, after reviewing the tape. I think he's a little bit faster on the draw. I think he hits a little bit harder. And I think that he has been clipped more times. He's been hurt more times. But I like the way he reacts to getting hurt. You know, Slava has no – he has a never-say-die attitude. Um, so unless you kill him, unless you choke him unconscious, unless you do something like that, I just don't see this guy giving up um, even under duress. So for those reasons, I think it's a dogger pass situation. Rich, how do you feel about this one?
1: um yeah i think zadikov better wrestle (laughs) if he doesn't wrestle he's fucked um i think on the feet it's just it's just going to be one-way traffic i think he's going to get ko'd um he better mix in that wrestling man and yeah he comes from a good camp but i don't think it's going to matter because when i watch the take when i've watched some interviews with this guy um he's a brute to me he reminds me of iron kubalata he just wants to throw down and um you know, stand in the pocket and see who falls. Wings and bombs. Um, He is a safe poor. Um, that is a different look for Boroshev. But, yeah, I'm just inclined to think he won't wrestle, man. He's just going to stand there. He's, You know, he's been clipped by Evan Elder, man. Um, and it's the same shot. The same thing happened on the regional scene against Elijah Harris. Um, He got hit by a counter right. The same shot that Evan Elder hit him with. And I just think someone like Borishev, when he hits you with it, he's following up with a left hook after it. Um, he's got nasty combos. If he had the wrestling to match and the grappling um, Borishev, he'd be a world beater man, but he doesn't, he just have that wrestling um, hole in his game. But I just don't think Sadakov's the one to, um, you know, to be smart enough to implement that. And not even smart enough. I just think his ego won't allow him to wrestle. I think he thinks he's better than he is. I was putting this out on Twitter. Um, I got some pushback. People thought it was disrespectful or whatever, but it's just what I see from tape and interviews, man. I do think he thinks he's better than he is. You know, you hear these interviews and he's talking about, I live for this shit. I'm a warrior. I'm a samurai and all that bullshit. Um, so, yeah. And I also think he might have possible cardio issues. I know he hasn't shown much of that from tape, but in the Evan Elder fight, he just slowed down with his game, man. He comes out fast um but yeah as the fight goes on he does slow down but um yeah Borishev man it's beautiful to watch varied attacks calf kick liver shot left hook um he is obviously the striking coach for team alpha male so you'd expect him to have good stand up um full of heart against the China guy um um that you know he got a cut in his eye didn't deter him one bit he basically finished him with one eye man I made the uh, made the guy quit. So um, yeah, I like Borishev. Um, it's his first pay per view fight. I think this is a good spot to um, highlight him to a new audience, man. And uh, I hope he gets the W over this guy, man.
0: Yeah, man. I think certainly you've got a matchup of good teams here, right? Uh, I think that the better team overall is Longo Weidman MMA, um, but I also think that you know Team Alpha Male not a slouch gym, right? And I do think that you look at a guy um, like Borshev, and I did see improvement over time because the the fight against the Casey, I think took him by surprise, right? I, I've called it the death of entertainment. I was there live in person. That's just a horrible fight. But when you watch back how Slava has dealt with other guys in the past, Kenley St. Louis had him badly hurt, had him in compromised grappling positions. He responded well, got out of those bad spots. Uh, and the same thing was true against Mike Davis, who I think is a really good fighter. Shout out to Cody Saftik. I thought that was a great point that he made on Dogger Pass. You know, I just think that like if those two guys were to fight right now, I'd favor Mike Davis uh substantially over Nazim, right? I just think he's a way better fighter, better athlete, um, you know, just projects a little bit higher. But then I'm looking at a like, you know, Slava gave him a real honest run there, you know, made Mike work really hard. Mike was ready for, you know, uh, a good rest week after that one. Um, So I just think that Slava, he's a hard guy to fight. You know, I'm sure it's nerve wracking to fight him on the feet because every shot he lands, he lands with a lot of power and he's doing it with a smile on his face. He seems like a guy who's fully comfortable with violence. So again, just a guy I wouldn't want to fight and I wouldn't necessarily want to fade at chalk prices with a guy who still has a little bit to prove. Uh, in terms of his ability to win rounds at this UFC level. Um, And I think that that, is an interesting shout from our guy. Gobbler says team alpha male coming up song. Yadong, dong future title challenger. They just set up a big fight for him in China as well. So exciting stuff. Shout out to the hundred plus people rocking with us live in the chat. Hope everybody drops a like as we're going here, uh, because we're dropping some good content along the way. And we're excited to talk next about Mateus Resbecki and Roosevelt Roberts and rich. This is a fight that I haven't been able to give any perspective on because When I did my first look this week, this fight hadn't even been announced. I I thought that uh, Mateus Rezbecki had just been screwed out of this fight card. So, my man, why don't you take it away with the first breakdown here? How do you feel about this fight? Uh, We got Rezbecki and Roosevelt Roberts, newly re-signed to the UFC. He had been there. And if you guys remember, some of the greatest moments in UFC history are Michael Bisbing saying, Roosevelt Roberts just tweeted at me. He's going to finish this guy in the first round. And then he gets finished right after. Uh, Very good stuff. Rich, how do you feel about this fight?
1: yeah I don't give one shit about it to be honest um I haven't done much research just gone off memory what I know about Roberts and um I watched one fight against Austin Hubbard on tough um he's got a guillotine that's how I remember him guess what did the same thing on tough tried to guillotine Hubbard Hubbard took him down and he spent the rest of the round on his back and um yeah lost the decision it was only two rounds though I think that um he's going to lose the fight i think it's probably going to be a submission from the rebecca side 2 3 is probably a good look because he hasn't had a full camp um and rebecca has you know it's madison square garden it's a little bit further up the card rather buried on the prelims um so yeah i think he's going to get fucked up man and i think the numbers bigger on the submission that's why i'd be more inclined to play that um i just think he's going to give it up in round 2 or 3 man when he's completely exhausted so I'm curious to see what the numbers are, man. I'll have a look, actually.
0: Yeah, and we've seen Roberts on the wrong end of a highlight reel knockout from Ignacio Baja Mondays. I think that literally plays on the UFC highlight reel. I remember watching that one at the casino and cashing a ticket there. That was absolutely glorious. That spinning head kick, uh, beautiful knockout and really scary stuff, frankly. Um, you know, the Kevin Croom fight, the Jim Miller fight. I mean, just... Couple, couple of fights that just, um, you know, don't really age great. So (laughs) Vince Bichelle as well, um, you know, a guy, difficult grinding type style, was able to get the win. So I think Rosbecky has every path here. You know, I think he could win this fight by brutal knockout, Rich. I think he's got a ton of power. He's a heavy-hipped individual. I was excited about this guy on Contender Series. I actually bet him by sub in that spot. uh, And, you know, he came through and looked like a million bucks in that fight. People have joked before, I look like Rizbecki. Um, so maybe that's my bias, right? He, he kind of comes out there. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he swings hammers. He wants to put people on the ground. He's got good submission game. And that Ligio fight, I thought was pretty impressive. You know, Ligio on the feet, um, not a bad fighter, went out there and froze with a lot of heat, a lot of uh, passion. And I just felt like he showed a lot of smarts in that fight. The UFC debut, I think he dealt with some jitters. I think he looked a little bit shitty in that fight, to tell you the truth. But he got the win. He did the number one job. Go out there and deliver when you're a big favorite. Find a way to get the win. If it's not your best performance, just make it a a winning performance. Last time out, I thought he was going to submit that guy, and instead he just diddy-bops him on the feet early. I was like, holy smokes. Um, So I just feel like Becky continues to get better. And I think the UFC didn't want to pass up this opportunity to promote him. I really think that's why they were like, anybody will take the call. um, Because I thought, again, it's a very late term uh, announcement for a fight like this during fight week. So um, yeah, I like Becky. I think he's got a high ceiling. And, you know, shout out to Roosevelt Roberts. When you take a hard assignment, oftentimes they'll give you you know, an opportunity. So now he'll probably get another fight against a more reasonable, um, assignment with more time to prepare. But I just think right now, short notice spot, uh, I, a guy that I would favor against him heavily in a fight. He was fully prepared for, uh, just spells recipe for disaster. I think it's Rizbeki, Rizbeki ITD. Um, with that being said, we can move along to the next fight here, Rich. It is the talk of the Twitter streets. Very interesting fight here where we have Tabitha Ricci, Taking on Lupita Godinez in the women's strawweight division. Oh boy, Rich, uh, fun fight. You know, on the one hand, Tabitha Ricci has put together a good four fight win streak in the UFC, unanimous decision over Jillian Roberts, uh, submission win over black belt Jessica Panay, beat Pollyanna Vienna via a very lackluster decision that I was cheering on from my living room with 2.2 units on the line at minus 110 a clean victory there. I was very happy about it, but again, not, not something that you would uh, show your friends to get them into MMA, right? It was more of a, um, a betters delight. And when you look at the, uh, the win prior to that, Maria Oliveira, she got takedowns in that spot. You know, she looked okay, but I didn't think she blew her out of the water there. And that was a little bit concerning for me. You know, I actually bet Ricci, and this is going to sound really foolish, Rich. I bet her very small, um, less than a half a unit when she was a, like, plus 460 underdog against Manon Firou, because I was like, if she gets on top of her, you know, she does have a judo background, a jiu-jitsu background, I was like, maybe she just grabs a hold of her neck and finishes, but she got stomped in that fight, and I was like, oh boy, uh, it did not, like, it did not seem, excuse me, like she liked being in the fire, you know, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, I I haven't been, uh, you know, punched and kicked by Manon Firo. so I'm not saying I'd do any better, I'm just saying, She did not want to be out there with her after a little bit. She realized as much. She started to shell up a lot more. She was not very offensive in that fight. So that for me was a a concern, but also a forgivable loss. You know, you take a short notice debut. It's against a hammer. Okay, that happens. But I also think that not blowing Maria Oliver out of the water, a little bit concerning for me. Pollyanna Vienna gets the win there. Nothing. I, I can't discredit it. But again, Pollyanna just didn't offer much resistance. I didn't learn much more about Tabitha Ricci and how she'll do in a nip-tuck fight, in a fight that's back and forth when she faces some resistance. So for me, Jillian Robertson, good fighter, decent skills. What is her problem? She's not very physical. And anybody who's really physical, just bodies or bullies are around the cage most of the time. So for me, these are some of the problems uh, with evaluating where Tabitha Ricci's at. You know, I don't think her striking is world-class. I think it's okay. She comes forward. She's normally aggressive enough. She's a little bit stiff, but she'll throw. She'll get in somebody's face. I think she's got decent enough power. Um, Brandon Olivas said he ha- he's held pads for her and she hits it incredibly hard. I believe that um, because you just look at her and she's got a very solid core. She's got big arms. She's a strong girl, but I think the same is true of Lupi Godinez, you know, and that's who's on the other side here. A girl who's a little bit more seasoned at the USC level, which is something that I'm taking note of here. I think the superior jiu-jitsu is on the Tabitha Ricci side. I think that Loopy a little bit loose sometimes with her jujitsu, um, not the most fundamental, but she's powerful, right? She's incredibly powerful. And you see uh, examples of that. I thought that she won the Jessica Panay fight, right? A decision goes against her there, but she's literally like picking the woman up, power slamming her across the octagon. And there's these visuals. Somebody put it on Twitter, like this is a real uh, frame from an actual UFC fight. And it's like, uh, loopy facing this way with her hands up and like Elise Reed down on the other side of the cage. Like she just has this ability to move women, hurt women, uh, on the feet with her hands. And we've seen her fight for five rounds, fight very hard over that five round pace and land a lot of clean shots, take really hard punches in the face and keep coming forward. So I've had a hard time getting a beat on loopy Godinez fights. That's the truth. I've done well with Tabitha Ricci. Uh, I picked my spots, right. I, 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 again took a floor, uh, nosedive, right. Uh, on the one bet where I I bet early against Manon Ferro. But then I made my money back and then some with the Pollyanna-Vienna fight and have sat on my hands since. Um, I haven't had a great read, though, on Lupi Godinez. I have struggled to bet on her. I've struggled to fade her as well. I bet a couple people at plus money and lost. So I just look and I'm like, maybe this is a fight that I should leave on the cutting room floor for myself because I've had a hard time, um, you know, projecting out these women. But curious to hear your thoughts on this one, Rich. I do think it's going to be an honest scrap. Uh, either way, I think if Richie does not win the fight by submission, um, it's going to be a difficult fight for her, uh, because I think she's going to eat a lot of hard punches to the face, but I think she might land a lot of hard punches to the face. I don't rate Loopy's defense, uh, very much on the, uh, return. So for me, fascinating fight, fun scrap. Um, how do you feel?
1: Yeah, I actually disagree on that point. I think if Richie's going to win this fight, it's going to be a decision um obviously that's not too profound to say man but the reason for that and no one's really talked about it is the fact that this is in the big cage um when usually they're at the apex for goodinas. she has fought out of there a couple of times but normally she's at the apex in the small cage which um favors her style man she can you know rush people and get a takedowns um people are easier to find for her powerful strikes She will have a power advantage, but if the person isn't there to get hit, then that don't mean shit. And for all of the bad things you can say about Ricci, because, you know, when I watched her against Maria Oliveira and I bet Ricci by sub, I was pissed off, man. I was like, how the fuck can you not finish Oliveira? Just take her down, man. It's like, she's got no takedown defense. She got her down and then just done nothing on top, man. Um, But yeah, she does have good footwork and she does have good cardio. And although her punches aren't hard, um, forget what Aliva said, that's cap, man. I don't care about hitting pads. Um, she's got this pitter-patter motion. Um, but yeah, he could serve her well here, man. If she's smart, go in there purely to win the decision, hit and run, and um, yeah, make it a frustri- frustrating night for um, Lupi Godinez, man, because I don't think she pushes the action much, um, Godinez. Uh, and I think if someone's smart and they kind of run away from it and just do enough to win around, um, it's going to frustrate a man. we seen in like the Angela Hill fight. I know Angela Hill was actually tagging her, but, you know, she gets down on herself, man. I think she's got the same problems as the likes of Alex Hernandez, fucking Gillian Robertson, where their mental headcases, cases, man. Terrence McKinney. These people, when they face a bit of adversity, they doubt themselves and um, they kind of fade in fights. So, um, yeah, I think it would serve Ricci well to employ that um, game plan, but that's not enough for me to put a bet on it. I'll probably stay away. I do think uh, Loopy is the side purely because I don't trust Ricci to employ that game plan. And I do think um, if she gets a hold of her, Loopy, she's too strong. Um, she's going to smother her and negate that arm bar that she's got off her back, um, Ricci. And um, yeah, I think overs are good in this fight. I think Loopy you know, eight times out of 10 probably wins the decision. Um, But I don't want no action in this fight, man. It's just, uh, it's just too shit. And there's plenty of other bets to be had, man.
0: I feel you there, my brother. Uh, And that's kind of my gut feeling on this fight as well is like, I I could see the argument for Ricci, but here's my concern. Um, You look at the Ricci side and she's got the topology votes. She's a very popular girl. Um, you know, her boyfriend's being highlighted at Madison square garden this week too. There's just like a lot of other surrounding things, you know, and for me, that could be a blessing or a curse, right? That could be, we're putting you in the limelight. Let's build you into a star, or that could be bright lights and, and you kind of freeze up a little bit. Um, so that for me is another interesting dynamic on this fight and something that's a little more intangible, hard to cap. So I'm comfortable staying away from this one for now. Um, sharp guys, I respect. Uh, on both sides. So
1: again, do I want to? I, yeah. I, I send that that she's going out with that guy, the yeah boxer guy. And um yeah, I don't know, man. You could see it the other way, they say, you know, it makes your knees weak, man. Um, so that might not be not be a good thing that she's got a new fella. Um but yeah, we're we'll see, man. I, I think I still think loop is the side, but I do see the narratives and stuff um with that.
0: Don't worry. There's there's narratives on both sides as well. So you love a good fight like that, an honest uh, an honest two way action fight. But in any case, we can move along to the next fight here, Rich, where we've got a hundred twenty five pound showdown that will be our prelim headliner, yeah, unless the card goes through another reordering, which it's gone through many already. But in any case, Steve Urseg, Astro Boy is back. He's taking on Alessandro Costa, and Costa is a guy that fun fighter brings the heat. Uh, but he's been chin-checked a couple times in his career. You know, uh, Amir Abbasi was able to catch him, connect later on in that fight. I thought he fought well uh, and, and did a good job connecting with some of his shots. But as the fight wore on, cardio didn't necessarily check out there. Uh, and that was his UFC debut. I think it was on short notice. So a couple of things that you could forgive about that. Uh, beating Jimmy Flick, you know, it's impressive, but it doesn't tell me a, a whole lot. You know, I think he had the jujitsu to kind of nullify Flick. I predicted him to win that fight by knockout. But I don't think I bet on it, which was frustrating, Rich, uh, because that was really easy in hindsight. But in any case, um, I'm looking now and I'm just saying to myself, you know, you got two guys here uh, that I think are both competitive. You know, these guys are both on the right side of 30, um, you know, 28 years of age for Astro Boy, 27 years of age for Costa. Uh, Astro Boy's is going to be the bigger guy a little bit longer here but he also is a guy that's been a little bit back and forth in some of his fights on the regional scene. Guy's taking him down at times. Uh, You know, he's got that long, lanky frame. We've also seen, you know, he's got some wins over UFC-level guys like Shannon Ross, but one of the worst chins that you'll see in MMA um, especially at the professional level. So there's just some things about the Urseg resume that I'm a little bit skeptical of. I also think while Dvorak is an okay fighter, I don't think he's bad. I think he's really tough too. He's taken a lot of whoopings without conceding uh, many finishes in the UFC, but I just think Dvorak, his confidence and his, you know, uh trigger is a little bit off right now. I don't think he's pulling the trigger out there. I think he's a little bit of a broken fighter and I hope he gets back on track, but just like, that's, you got to call it like you see it sometimes, and that's what I've seen from him, right? Ursa, I thought was a live underdog in that opportunity. Uh, I don't know if I got to the window with him, but I, I think I picked him in my article as well as an underdog because he's a guy that goes out there, pushes the pace, makes it a wild scramble. And I just didn't know if I, I saw enough from Dvorak to say he's going to tell him to fuck off. And this guy, Costa, with the power and the early going, might be able to do that. You know, he might be able to get him uh, to back off a little bit, uh, to be a little bit more... Uh, conservative, a little bit more disciplined with his hand positioning and things like that. Um, so I think this is an interesting fight, but I also think that, you know, Costa coming in uh, on relative short notice here as well, if I'm not mistaken, I want to just double check that, but I believe there was a cancellation uh, for ursegg's original opponent. Um, I pulled up his record. Yeah, he's supposed to fight Matt Chanel. So I think the, the problem that I have with Costa is that we've seen this story before, you know, he's come in, looks good, slows down, gets finished in round three. I could see Ursak doing that. Uh so I'm curious what the round props are here and I'll take a look into that as I kick it over to you Rich. How do you feel about this one? Um yeah, I think
1: Costa's going to get subbed man. It's plus 400. I don't like him. It is short notice. Um you know his his regional records a bunch of fights that looks um low level competition. When I'm watching the tape, he doesn't really do much of anything. He just likes to sit back and wait for his opponents to take the lead. Um, Erceg himself is a bit too patient for my liking so that does worry me if you're going to play the submission bet, it could be a decision just based off each of them looking at each other and not really doing much of anything but you know, Erceg's the bigger fighter in there, I think he's got the better jiu-jitsu, um, probably the better stand-up also man with more power we've seen in his debut Costa, Um getting finished by and his name's completely gone out of my head
0: Amir Abazi.
1: Albazi, yeah. I don't think that was a good look to get finished by him. Um, and then Jimmy Flick, like you were saying, it doesn't really mean shit. Um, Jimmy Flick's just showing up for for some money. Um, I think we all cashed Costa by KO in that fight. So yeah, I like the um the sub for Ursig. It's his second pay-per-view they're putting him on now, the UFC. He obviously impressed in his debut. Um, I think calf kicks are going to be important in this fight for both fighters. I just think Urseg is going to get off more. Um, it could even be a situation where, you know, we have Costa limping at the end of round one or whatever, where they're really affecting him. And, um, you know, Urseg gets a takedown based on that and gets his submission. But, um, yeah, I really like Urseg, man. I think he's a good prospect. He's got um, good cardio, good in the scrambles. Um, like I said, excellent jiu-jitsu. Puts the body lock on when he takes the back. Um, so yeah, I think he's the side in this one, man.
0: Largely agree here, man. And I'm looking shout out to YBB says this fight card is sweet. You can literally make a case for both sides of every bout. We as fans love these cards. Absolutely. I tend to agree. And the things that Urseg does well is he just keeps that really high pace. And that's what flyweight is kind of predicated on. If you can't do that, um, you know, you're going to really struggle, especially at the high end of the division, rich. And when you're coming in on short notice, when you haven't proven that you could go that, that longer, uh, portion of fighting, it is difficult for me to get behind you at this kind of price. Um, you know, if it was over two to one, maybe we're having a different conversation, but, uh, I'm not going to lay the chalk either. I just feel like Urseg is probably going to get the win here. feel like he could probably, uh, be reasonably favored to 70% if, He has the cardio advantage that I expect him to have here. So for me, you know, what percentage do you put a Costa round one or round two finish at? I think that's where you got to start the conversation uh, on this fight. And for me, I just don't put it high enough to to say that there's immense value on that money line. So that's why I've passed on this fight, Uh, despite thinking it should be a fun one, should be a good scrap, but just don't see the money line value necessarily. Did you have something to add there, Rich?
1: Yeah, i I was just going to mention to the chat, man, uh, one thing that I do when I'm breaking down the card is I write down every man, and I put the odds beside it. And I look at like how these fights are going to end, you know, where the dogs are going to cash, because, you know, you're not going to have free fights that are going to end by by submission, you know, just by probability. Um, So I do try and look at that and where the dogs are going to cash, like who's going to be the parlay buster. Um, a good example of that was the uh, the card in Brazil when I chose Dalby. Part of my reasoning for that was there was going to be a main card parlay buster, and I really liked all the others to finish. Um, so I think when people are like capping these fights, I think you know maybe that's something people can like incorporate into, you know, them placing their bets, um, and that's kind of what I did on the Ursig fight, man. Um, you know that one by submission, and then we're up to Pat Sabatini next. I'm having that one by decision et cetera, et cetera. Um, So yeah, just something for people to think about, man.
0: I think that's a great point, Rich. And I wanted to point out, if you guys go back and listen to the show last week, Rich asked me, well, who do you think is the main card buster? And I said to him, I think it's Ismael Bonfi, right? And I wasn't super bullish, but I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, it's gotta be somebody, right? But we both have kind of the same philosophy. It's gotta be one of these guys. And I was just like, who's the most fraudulent of the bunch? And I was like, probably Ismael Bonfim, you know, never been a big favorite in the UFC when he was, he got finished in the first round. So I'm like, okay, let's run it again. Fight gets pulled between the show and then the post weigh-in show. So by then I had already come around to Dolby because I'm like, well, who's left, right? And I didn't think that Maze was a big enough buster. And frankly, I just didn't think it made enough sense. So those were the two people I had thrown out. Maybe they bust uh, with those two guys, but I was just like, no, it doesn't really make sense. Maze sucks and there's no marketability to him. so. uh, excuse me, Dalby, on the other hand, he's a guy that's been around for a long time. Good story. And by the way, used to be an alcoholic. And then he stopped being an alcoholic. And that's why his cardio has continued to improve. And he looks better in his fights at this age now than he did in some of his earlier fights when he's bloated. It doesn't look like he was training very hard. So I just feel like uh, Nicholas Dalby, the hat tip is there uh, once again. And a great point from Rich as we move to this next fight with Pat Sabatini and Diego Lopes. And listen. fan of Diego Lopes, right? Bet him in his UFC debut, Rich. I thought um you know the number was crazy at the time. A lot of people called me uh crazy at the time as well for getting on board with that. Uh let me look and see what it was. Plus 660.2 units. I was like how wrong could I be? You know, at plus 660 with a guy who's this aggressive, who's got pretty decent cardio. That's how I was feeling, right? But now we're down to plus 100, right? Even money. It might even chalk out by the time that this uh, fight gets rolling. And so I'll kick it over to you first, Rich. You can give your thoughts uh, and your breakdown. But for me, I'm going to have to do a little bit of an about face after doing some more tape study for this fight. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts first.
1: Yeah, people are going to mention Sabatini being chinny. Um, Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Um, But I don't think there's much stock into that in this fight. The only thing that concerns me on the Sabatini side is Sabatini in Reign 3. He does drop off. He does it in every fight that gets extended. Um, he's just happy to coast in round 3. He'll do some cage pressing, so that will be a concern. But I do think, um, you know, the majority of the time he wins this fight by decision. I think he negates Lopez's game. Lopez is going to flop to his back looking for his armbars. Um, We've kind of already seen this fight, man, and it was Brito against... Uh, Lopez in the Dana White Contender Series fight. I do know that Brito is on all the steroids and he's super strong on top. But, um, you know, Pat Sabatini, he's got more technical ability, man. And I do think he'll get the takedowns like Brito did and be able to fend off any submission attempts. It's as simple as that, man. But I think that's the way that Twitter's divided on this one. Um, They think Lopez is going to, you know, maybe test that chin or he's going to get another submission win. Or if you're on the Sabatini side, he's going to negate it, like I've just said, and uh, get a decision win. And I'm on the Sabatini side, man. Um, I don't think that Lopez is going to get a submission. If you are playing Lopez, I don't know why you're not just playing ITD. Uh, What's the point of playing decision? He's not a minute winner. He loves playing off his back. We've seen that from uh, numerous fights of his. Um, So, yeah, if you're playing Lopez, it's ITD. And uh, if you're myself, it's Sabatini and the decision, man. Um, there's not much more to say in, in my opinion.
0: I feel where you're at and, you know, going back, that was the fight that changed my mind, right? My guy, Joe Anderson Brito, big fan of his, uh, throughout his UFC run, uh, bought me Rangers tickets, Rangers playoff tickets. So always a, a tip of the cap to our guy, Joe Anderson Brito for that. Um, you know, when he went out there and knocked out Andre Philly at a plus a thousand ITD, one of the stupidest prices I've ever seen in all my years betting on, on sports. But in any case you go and you look at this guy, um, Diego Lopes, he is very, very durable. You know, Joe Anderson Brito is a destroyer, right? He goes out there to try and really hurt people. And the one thing about Diego Lopes is if you create space, if you open up, if you try and throw, he's really going to start to look for things. He's going to try and latch on anything shoulder crunch, knee bar, heel hook, doesn't matter. He's going to look for it. But Joe Anderson Brito, you know, Brazilian guy, well-equipped on the mat. I think he's got a judo brown belt. If my mem- This is all from memory, right? So don't quiz me on Joe Anderson Brito's credentials, guys. I'll know that next week. But when we're talking about just like offhand, I think he's got a judo brown belt. I think he's a jiu-jitsu brown belt. The guy saw it on the mat. So he knew, okay, this is the transition. This is the transition. He did a couple things that are a little bit dirty. I like to see it, right? This is why Joe Anderson Brito's my guy. He's putting the knee on the face. He's like, dude, you want to grab an arm bar? All right, you're going to suffer for it. And Diego Lopes, by the end of that first round, I don't know if it was from the knees to the face uh, or it was from the pokes to the eye, but either way, he could not see very well out of his left eye. And so he was getting taken down just with ease and rapidity. But the thing that you see is that his ground game, which is very dynamic, gets much less dynamic against the fence. Movsar Loev, a lot of open space takedowns. I bet against him, right? I thought Movsar Loev had shown his his cards in some other fights where he was really in danger, right? You saw there was a couple times Movsar Loev was in a front headlock. Uh, I think Nick Lentz might've had him in a choke. Like a couple guys had put him in some really dire situations. So when I look at that, I'm like, okay, this is a guy in Diego Lopes who has a good dynamic ground game but he can mostly make it work against people that panic. If you're not panicking, if you could stay calm, stay poised and disciplined, you can normally work through it. My hesitation on the Pat side is not that he will tap to a submission here, Rich. The guy is not doing that. But my, my only hesitation about Pat is that if you remember, the one time that he's been uh, finished that wasn't him getting kicked in the face by, um, you know, uh, Damon Jackson in, in a very surprising fashion, right? I picked Pat to win that fight. When you saw him get finished, he got his arm snapped and he's really tough, right? So Pat, again, he didn't tap there and let his arm just snap in half. That's my only concern on the Sabatini side. So if this line flips, then I will probably end up just having to take Sabatini, holding my nose, hold my breath. Listen, he's from the Northeast, baby. Okay. Them New York boys will teach you how to wrestle once again. He ain't from New York. He's from Pennsylvania, but I've been taught a lesson or two from Pennsylvania guys that can teach you how to wrestle. So. When you look at the best states in the union for uh, wrestling, you've got to include Pennsylvania. You've got to include um, New York, in my humble opinion. You've got to include Ohio and these kind of places, Northeast, very stacked with talent. So I think that Pat Sabatini is a good grappler, very uh, sound positionally, and he's come a long way. Even from that fight, a lot of the guys he's fought in the UFC are small, So that, again, is the only thing that gives me some pause here. Lopes, a big guy, kind of weird and awkward body style and weird jujitsu, you know, just like very, um, you know, willing to play off his back. But that has a ceiling in the UFC, you know, and I do think that Pat Sabatini, he's dealt with some guys that throw up subs, even Jamal Embers. I laughed and and joked about that, um, you know, toehold that he was going for, but it was a solid enough attempt. Like he was really putting some torque on it. He was really trying. Pat Sabatini has no intention of tapping at all in those situations. He just commits to his offense. So for me, that's the ultimate deciding factor here is I don't think Pat, um, you know, is going to tap unless, you know, Lopez tears his knee apart or something. And again, it's just like, I don't see that happening. He, he, for me looks like Tony Ferguson in some of these grappling situations. Wait till my arm is completely inside out before I tap. So um, Sabatini probably going to have that crowd support. I think Lopez is going to have some crowd support as well. I think people get behind him. He's a fun guy, fun style. But I just think if we're seeing Pat Sabatini takedowns against the fence, he's going to control him on top for probably the first 10 minutes of the fight. And then to your point, Rich, round three is where it gets a little bit more dicey. Maybe you hedge off with a live plus 200 on Lopes, plus 300 on Lopes to make sure that Pat doesn't fumble the bag for you uh, late. But I think that Pepe made an interesting point about um pat potentially being able to finish pat has a sambo background high level black belt i agree with those points you know he's gone with other uh guys who are credentialed on the mat laramie a little bit undersized but credentialed on the mat whooped his ass in that fight uh you know was able to put him in a lot of really bad positions was able to win a lot of scrambles there so i think sabatini he's a guy that's got a game built for this kind of fight um so as long as he stays safe stays disciplined keeps the fight off the feet i think he's going to win this fight So. Good fight, good scrap, and earlier this week on First Look, I gave a case for why I think Diego Lopez is difficult to fade at chalk, but you might not have to. You stay patient. You sit on your hands a little longer. uh, We might see this line flip entirely. So um, for me, good fighter in Diego Lopez, but long-term, his game has a a lower ceiling than somebody like Sabatini, who pressures people, controls them, takes them down, and really limits some of the variance on the other side. Damon Jackson is a good wrestler and grappler in his own right. So Pat got caught before the fight got going. Just happens sometimes. Uh, And also, he had the narrative of all narratives. He had just lost a family member. Um, Can't really think of a higher motivation spot for somebody like Damon Jackson than that. So that was Damon Jackson's finest hour. Again, a tip of the cap there. But Pat Sabatini looked like he was back on track last time out. And I don't want to fade him either. Uh, After looking back at the tape, this guy is very, very good on the ground. Next up, man, we got a fun scrap here between Matt Frivola and Benoit Saint-Denis. This has got fight of the night type uh brawl written all over it. On the one hand, Matt Frivola, a guy that's made significant improvements over time. I've been talking about on this show. He's an underrated guy. You know, if he doesn't get chin checked, he's a good fighter. Uh, He's pushed a lot of guys. Jalen Turner audited him on the mat back in the day, put him in a lot of danger. Uh, as well. Armand Sarukian made him work, you know, made it an honest night's work for Armand Sarukian in that fight. Uh, but you look at what Frivola struggles with at times, speed and power, you know, uh, can get to him, you know, and I think that for his last couple of fights, Gennaro Valdez, I thought that that was a really good spot for Fervola. You know, I thought that Fervola was just going to put hands on him. Uh, Valdez had been in danger in his last fight. Um, so, that was for me something that was concerning when i look at the fact that uh fervola got chin checked by marco polo reyes i find that a little bit concerning but i also think he used to be a little bit more um i don't know like arrogant is the wrong word enthusiastic i think is the right word you know he doesn't mind getting into a fight i think john annick said the passion for the exchanges right like this guy just loves to get in there and throw hands uh he is a true new yorker in that sense but when you're watching Matt Fervola, um, you know he definitely has gotten more composed and more thoughtful with his shot selection over his recent fights. I thought he did a great job picking apart Drew Dober. It made me frustrated because I bet him by sub. And I'm like, how many times am I going to bet on Matt Frivola by sub and he's just going to knock somebody dead? Uh, because the guy has really good ground game and good takedowns, and he just chooses not to use them and goes out there and puts his shit on the line and swings. Benoit Saint-Denis is a guy that I have rode like a money train all the way up to this point, right? But uh, I also faded him when he was fighting Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos, who people told me was a bum and then he almost uh, beats Renat, right? But people had said he was a bum. He knocked out Sean Strickland, UFC champion. Like this guy, very, very quality, obviously. Benoit Saint Denis got maybe the worst opportunity to make a UFC debut you can imagine, right? Hey, take on this really tough guy up a weight class. Tough nights work. But what we learned about him is that the guy will not quit. That is why I bet him in so many of these fights, right? Plus 250 against Ismail Bonfim was laughable. And I said as much on this show beforehand. I just regret that I didn't bet it for a huge amount. That was foolish. But you look back and just the guy won't quit and he will come forward throwing heavies, wants to get in your face, wants to throw down. But there's a plus and a minus to that, right? Which is that you look at this guy and he's been minus 110. Last time out, of course, I think he closed higher than that. But like, I took it there. I was like, of course, I got to take that. I've seen Tiago Moises in this exact opportunity, fold up shot when it got really tough, when a guy was beating on him, landing big shots. He just never got going against Joel Alvarez and he landed shots. He he showed improvement in that last one out against Benoit Saint-Denis, but you still saw some of those same elements when he is taking it. He just doesn't like to be on the receiving end of big shots. You know, he likes to manage a fight. And we saw that against Michael Johnson, bad visuals, right? We've seen it a number of times. So a lot of these matchups for Benoit Saint-Denis, we don't know exactly how much of it was Benoit Saint-Denis being the man and how much of it was Benoit Saint-Denis having some matchups that favored his style. Because you go back and look and Benoit Saint-Denis, uh, I bet him, or excuse me, I faded him with Eliza Dos Santos. I bet him against Bonfim. I bet him against Moises. The Gabriel Miranda fight, Looks okay, right? Gabriel Miranda just got a win in the UFC, right? That was a nice win by him. Um, Got the submission over Shane Young. Looked great doing it. And Miranda went out there and scrapped with him in Paris, put it on the line, threw heavy shots, and just got caught. Got cleaned up a little bit in that fight. Uh, Benoit showed the power, the willingness to go through a difficult fight. Um, The Stolte fight, I really don't value very much, you know. Um, I just take that for whatever it's worth, which isn't very much to me. Stolte doesn't really seem like a UFC-level guy. So it leaves you with he took an absolute shellacking from Easy Dose, who's a quality guy, but not a top, you know, five guy, not a top 10 guy. And then he's rattled off some wins over guys who are fringe. You know, I think Tiago Moises is like a fringe top 15 guy. You know, he'll always be on that 10 to 25 type range in the UFC's lightweight division uh, for me. So I'm looking here at a guy in Matt Frivola who has competed with guys who are in the top five and the top 10, the Armand Sarukians, right? He's looked good in some of those fights. So this is a really interesting scrap for me, man. Um, You know, I wanted to be on Benoit Saint-Denis. You know, I wanted to be more bullish on my guy here because I do think he's got a higher potential ceiling in the division, right? Matt Favreau is 34 years of age. He has been chin checked a number of times. There's always a chance that that rears its ugly head if it's not in this fight, in a future fight, right? But I also think Benoit Saint-Denis fights in a way that doesn't minimize danger you know he'll go out there and scrap with anybody he was giving up his back in his last fight he was getting taken down in some of these fights and even his fights that he had regionally why did i bet so much on Elias zaleski dos santos he was taking clean shots and most of his wins came by submission he's taking guys down he's beating them up on the ground i was like i don't think he could do that to zaleski i don't think that he's submitting matt Frivola in this fight um and that was for me the one thing that was surprising about this in terms of the props rich is like they think that this is probably going to be a St. Denis, um, you know, uh, finish, right? That's how they're lining it. Let me just go ahead and take a look at the specifics on the U.S. market right now. But you're looking at St. Denis KO plus 180, uh, St. Denis submission plus 300. I think that the submission should be wider than that. You know, I think it's a KO or decision decision uh, for Benoit St. Denis. I, do, I think Matt Fergola has a never-say-die attitude. I do not think he will quit under any circumstance. Could he get knocked out? Yes. Will he quit? I don't see that. And I think the same is true of Benoit Saint-Denis. Uh, will he go to sleep in a choke? Yes, every every person will. There's no tough guy in a choke. So that is Fervola's path. In my view, is either he's got to choke this guy, he's got to knock him out, or he's got to win the decision. The crowd's going to go crazy for Fervola. But I think the crowd, kind of like a Diego Lopes, is going to give some pop to Benoit Saint-Denis as well. I know that they're going to go hard and represent for Frivola in New York. I know that but Benoit Saint-Denis has some fans. He's going to bring some people in the building. I think people will like to cheer for him as well. He's the favorite. People like that. This is a scrap. This is a scrap. And I think that at the big plus money indication, it's probably a dog or pass situation, but the visuals of Frivola getting knocked out in the first round in the really early going are for me, what has kept me off the Frivola play. Um, you know, Despite thinking he's a really good fighter. So, Maybe a a poke on Frivola ITD, which I did against Dober. Maybe a poke on Frivola by Sub, which I donate to on a regular basis. Um, Maybe something like that for me. Um, But I just have this gut feeling that Benoit Saint-Denis by KO um, is very plausible here. I think that he hits like a truck, and I think that he just does not stop um, competing. So unless he gets finished here, unless he gets floored, I think he's going to continue fighting like a dog for 15 minutes. So Rich, go ahead and give it to me. Why am I dead wrong?
1: Yeah, you are dead wrong, man. And uh, by Saturday, I'll have you betting vola by submission. Um, he's going to sub him all day. Benoit isn't going to win this fight. Um, the chat's talking about a decision. No chance. Um, Favola's going to fuck him up, man. And it was 1,800 you could have got the submission for. Now it's 1,200 um, for vola by submission. It's probably going to be a guillotine. If you look at the people vola have fought, Drew Dober, Ottoman Azatar, Gennaro Valdez. What do they have in common? None of them wrestle. None of them want subs. They all want to stand and bang. Um, We know that Benoit is going to try and push the grappling. He's going to go for a takedown. The same he did against Zaleski, Stoltz. And what did they both do? They tried to hit the guillotine. Stoltz almost got it. Um, He had Benoit wincing in there. He had to turn his neck and fucking bail out of the takedown and um yeah history repeats itself man he's going to do the exact same thing again and likely get guillotined even if he doesn't man and actually i should have preferenced this before i started the breakdown i bet zaleski against benoit i bet benoit against um bonfim and the submission and I bet Benoit against um, Moises and the KO. So my history on betting on Benoit is pretty good, man. I know he's game well. Um, he doesn't have the hands to hurt Frivola. He's not good at boxing at all. He spams a left body kick repeatedly. That's what he did to bump him, and bumping didn't like it. And then what did he do? He used the body kick to close the difference distance to get his takedown. And that's all he really wants, Benoit, in fights. He wants to close the distance, get takedowns, use his muscle to get you to the ground, like he did against Moises, and uh, put the pressure on your man, chip away at you until you give up the neck, or like Moises, who's got Jiu Jitsu, go out by the TKO. And um, yeah, he can't do that to Favola, man. Favola's the better wrestler, in my opinion. Go watch his fight with Armin. Armin, I rate very highly in the wrestling department. And round one was, um, it was anyone's, man. The, uh, the reversals Favola was doing and the, the scrambles, man, was really impressive. Uh, Benoit can't do that. He's literally just brute force. Um, it's not very technical. The UFC are doing him dirty, bringing him here to New York kind on of a two-month turnaround. Listen to this, yeah. This is Benoit's schedule. He fought in Dubai against Oleski, went to the Apex, went to France went to the apex, went to France and now they're flying him to New York two months later after his last fight. Um, I don't think he's going to like the 11 hour journey. I don't think that's going to help him. Um, I think the hometown guy is getting a bit of, um, you know, some advantages here from the UFC. So yeah, if you didn't know it already, I'm all over for bowler, man. I think the line's stupid as well. Plus plus one ninety last time I looked, um, Yeah, I think he's going to get his um, neck snatched up, man. Probably round one or two by Frivola, And uh, we're going to cash a plus 1,800, man.
0: Should I make the the quarterly (laughs) donation? You
1: are, man. You have to,
0: bro. (laughs) I guess I might have to. You know, this is the thing. No matter what, I'm going to be rooting for these New York guys, all right? I'm a damn New Yorker at the end of the day. And these New York boys have taught them how to wrestle many times. And Matt Frivola, good wrestler, underrated wrestler. and at 34 years of age, he's not too far gone, right? He's a little bit older for the division, but I do think we've been seeing his best career performances to date. Um, And I think Benoit Saint-Denis, we've been seeing the same from him, but on a quick turnaround here. Um, And he's a guy that he's still young, right? He could still put together a great game. We saw after the Zaleski fight, people were ready to write his death warrant. Oh my God, this guy will never win another fight. His chin is gone forever. And then he looked great, right? He came back, rattled off a bunch of wins. If he loses this fight, hey, no skin off your nose, young guy will repackage you, put you back in France or wherever else, get you a big win again in front of the French crowd. There's no problem there. So uh, he's already lost that. O. you know, he doesn't have the allure of an undefeated fighter, but I do think among French fighters, who's got the best potential for a UFC title. I think it's Cyril gone, Benoit Saint-Denis in terms of the current crop right now. So whether he wins or loses here, I don't think the Benoit Saint-Denis promotional train is gone. I think they will continue to promote him, but it is in Matt frivola's backyard. I do think that the New York faithful will be going crazy for our guys. So, um, you know, Matt frivola's lit up New York City before, make no mistake. And um, I can't lay 70% that he's not going to do it again because he's very skilled. He's got, um, you know, all the intangibles as well. So great fight. Two guys that are soldiers, right? I always say I don't like fading people in the military. These people are tough. These people are willing to take a beating. Um, and they've seen real violence, right? So um, things like this. Just not as, as concerning for them, right? Getting knocked out in a cage fight is really small uh, when you put your life on the line. So, uh, Veterans Day, shout out to uh, two people that have served, uh, two people braver than even the average fighter. So, uh, God bless them for it. But with that being said, guys, we can hey, guys. We can, our uh, this.
1: Sorry, man, let me just mention because people are bringing it up in the chat. Um, when I say he's not technical, Benoit, he's not, man. Go do your due diligence, go watch his fights. When he gets into the pocket and throws down with people, he does a weird thing, man. He punches to the fucking body. He doesn't even headhunt. And he leaves his head on the center line. He's there to be cracked. He's been cracked plenty of times before. It's only a matter of time, man, until he gets either KO'd, club, and subbed, or he goes in, leaves his head on the outside for the takedown on the single leg and he gets gear teamed, man. Uh go watch some fights, man.
0: And londo I mean, with all due respect, brother, um, you're talking to two people that win bets more than they lose them. Let's be very frank about that. But on top of that, uh, yeah, we've lost bets on Frivola sub, cashing bets on Frivola ITD as he knocked these guys the hell out. So um, let's not be disrespectful in either way. Um, I think that frivola is a great fighter. I think that he's been shincheck But same thing is true of Benoit Saint-Denis, and he's been on the verge of being knocked out before. Uh, somebody mentioned it, a overturned contest, right? Uh, illegal strike. But again, suffered a a stoppage loss there. So he's a guy that is very talented. I've said I've sung nothing but his praises on this channel, including on my first look. But you go back and watch tape on for and he's not the same guy that's running out there with the chin just right up in the air against Terrence McKinney. He seemed like a guy against Drew Dober who's a lot more um, thoughtful in his approach. So um, we could always respectfully disagree. I always say tail fader indifferent. No problem. But um, you know, I think that it's important to approach uh, with uh, respect for both individuals. And Matt Favola is not a pushover. So next up, we've got Jessica Andraj taking on Mackenzie Dern here. And oh boy, Rich, uh, this is a fight that I think we're going to disagree on. So why don't I kick it to you first? Why don't you give us your thoughts? And uh, and then I'll retort.
1: Um, yeah, so I put this out as much of the week for Dern. I said don't better. Um, I still stand by that. I don't think she's going to get her submission which I imagine most people like here. Um, Yeah, I think I was the same as the majority, man. I looked at this one, and thought it was another layup for Dern. And then when you look into it and you see some things, I I don't think it's as simple as that. Um, I think this is the last fight on Andrade's contract. Um, She signed a new one when she fought Blanchfield. It's usually a four fight contract. She's fought three, so this should be the last one. She's with dominance MMA. Um, if you don't know, um, do your research on that part of Ali Slees's um, you know come up team. She's been a company man or woman for the UFC. Um, so I think they're giving her one back here in Dern. You know it's easy to look at her last three fights and say she's washed. she's showing up for a paycheck. And that was part of my narrative for betting Blanchfield. I'm Max Bet Blanchfield, had her by ITD, 10 units money line at plus money because it was the case then man but she's been working at the PI in Vegas now. Um I think she realizes her back's to the wall. If she loses this one she will likely get cut um, regardless of how the UFC feel about her. And uh, it's just got weird vibes, man. Mackenzie Dinn's best win of her career was against Angela Hill in a back and forth fight. Well in the early going it was back and forth fight. Um, you know she had dominant positions, still couldn't get the submission. You look at the early wins in her career, um, Mackenzie Dern. She's not beating anybody really notable. Um, Ashley Yoda, fucking Hannah Cyphers, people like that. And she can't wrestle Dern. That's the big X factor in this fight. She can't wrestle. Half the time when she gets on top of these girls, it's because it's she's um, knocked them down because they're worried about the takedown. I think Jessica's more well-rounded. I even think, I hate to say this, but Jessica, by submission, was... 2500 25 to 1 um I'm not advocating people going to play that but I even think that's crazy um so yeah I, I, I don't know I'm still undecided on this one but I do think that Dern is a bit mushy um it just looks too easy to go and better by submission so what I'm saying is um be careful don't go too big because uh, I could just see people getting burnt on this one man
0: So, want to say shout out to frequent commenter Bailey here as we close the door on the last fight. It says he was everybody's sweetheart and nobody could say a bad thing about him. And then once he's minus two hundred, he is black. Well, the the game changes when somebody's minus two hundred because then it's not about are they good. Yeah, everybody's good. Yeah, everybody's fine. The question is, are they going to win the fight sixty percent of the time or seventy percent of the time? Because that's the difference between minus one fifty and minus two thirty. Right, And it's landing right in the middle of there. So you do the math and you say, does he win it this percentage of the time? That's the only question that we have to ask here, trying to handicap the fight. In terms of, his Benoit Saint-Denis a great fighter? I think he said, sure, absolutely. He's a fine fighter. He's a great fighter. But here's the other thing. He opened minus 400. So a lot of people have already come in on the map for side at plus 330, very sharp gamblers early on in the process. And now this line is settling at minus 230. So where are the people with big bucks unloading on Benoit Saint-Denis to the tune of pushing it back to minus 300? I'm not seeing that yet. So, again, it's not to say that he's not a good fighter. He is a good fighter. He's very talented but you got to talk about the lines where they are because we're not getting this fight at evens. You know, if it's at evens, you say, okay, maybe that's more clear. They opened at minus 400. So they had a very strong opinion, but the line's been coming back the other way. The market's been having their say. So with that being said, let's get back to this fight at hand, which is Jessica Andrade and Mackenzie Dern. And Rich just gave some good uh, points for the underdog here. And Jessica Andrade, you know, back uh, could be against the wall here. You know, I do think, and I made this point to you privately, which is, I don't think she's getting cut here. You know, even if she loses this fight, personally, reason being, I don't think they want another organization to pick her up. She can fight at any weight class, you know, kind of move around and she can have success. You know, she's still a girl that has power. She's still a girl that has uh, grappling accolades. But I think in this fight, it's a tough matchup for her, right? I picked her by sub against Amanda Lemos, plus 600 in that spot. Reason being, Rich, Amanda Lemos had only been doing jiu-jitsu like five years, six years. I was like, she's a dancer. Like, she's not going to be ready for Jessica Andrade if she grabs a hold of her but i thought that fight was concerning because she was looking a little bit sketchy in some of the exchanges um you know prior to getting the submission i felt like she needed to submit her by by the way that that was going so for me i look at that and i say to myself okay jessica definitely still has some you know striking acumen She's still got power she's still moving her head and doing her thing but it just seems like other women are getting a better beat on her timing. She's 32 years of age. She's had a million fights and she's done it all the way up from 35 down to 115. So now at 115 pounds, I used to say like, Oh, this is her weight class. Um, you know, this is where she's at her best. This is where we see the best performances. And then she gets flatlined by Yen Nan, and I've picked Yen Nan. but again, I didn't expect it to be like non-competitive. I thought maybe they brawl it out in the pocket and she catches her or something, but it just looked like a blown out of the water type performance. and, She's had a lot of those now. You know where I like Jessica a lot and I've bet on her uh and I've bet against her to the tune of like 20 units profit. So she's one of my most profitable fighters ever. I really enjoy her game. But last time out uh and it's to the tune of 20 units profit with a whiff last time on um Tatiana Suarez uh by KO and Tatiana Suarez KO2, which I thought was a great spot and she was beating her up and then submits her in round 2. I was gutted. I wanted to puke in my hands on that one. But you look and The loss to uh, Tatiana Suarez, I thought she was getting beat up. The loss to Yan she got knocked around and then finished. Uh, Aaron Blanchfield, I thought was tuning her up on the feet. I really did. And then Aaron Blanchfield took her down, finished the job. Great win for Aaron. I think all those women are, are very good fighters, world class fighters. And I think the UFC would like Mackenzie Dern to ascend to that level. Whether she can answer the call there, I'm not sure. But you look at Lauren Murphy. She's a little bit old. She's a little bit past herself by date with all due respect Uh, as a title challenger coming off that classic, uh, you know, letdown spot of a title fight. And then another fight where it's just a contenders matchup. Didn't think she was really zoned in for that one. Amanda Lemos, like I said, um, just not prepared for the jujitsu. Cynthia Calvillo hasn't really looked like herself in recent years. Uh, Hasn't really been putting on many memorable or good performances of late. So again, that was her three fight win streak. I think that you could contextualize all those and say, you know, are there any real standout wins there? I'm not sure. Amanda Lemus did just fight for a title, so take nothing away from that. But is she going to leverage that jiu-jitsu against Mackenzie Dern? It's not impossible, right? I think to your point, 25 to 1 is wide. If you're going to play Mackenzie Dern by sub, play the ends by sub, don't be a fool, right? Why would you not take the extra equity when it's going to be a very similar price? Because they're assuming Andrash has no chance for a sub, but she does have a submission game. She does have guillotines, to your point, if Mackenzie's attempting a bad takedown or something. But I just think that the positional awareness of Mackenzie Dern on the mat is extremely high level. In the fights that she didn't finish, she's almost always had a girl in a position where they're about to be finished and just couldn't always convert. Sometimes she takes too long, right? Jiu-Jitsu, people are patient, Rich. You got to be aggressive in fighting. You can't take your time. Angela Hill should have been finished in the first round. She let her off the hook uh, multiple times, right? But also I had the Nsk, or excuse me, I had Dern KO plus 2,500 last time, Rich. It's plus 850 this time, right? The book said, we almost gave up our ass that time because I, at plus 2,500, Dern rocked Hill on the feet several times, which I don't think anybody talks about, but it's the threat of the takedown that opens up her power punching. She's not technical on the feet, but she comes forward. She knows what her game is, which is hitting people hard. And now she's throwing with the the reckless intent of a divorced woman. Uh, and I do like to see that from her. On the other side, though, we got the divorced woman narrative uh, for Jessica and Josh. Both of these women um, you know, got some aggression that they want to get off their chest. Let's say both of these women have a good reason to get in a fight. But I haven't liked the trend that I've been seeing from Andraj lately. I just have seen um, less fire, less willingness to compete when the going gets tough, uh, and a little bit more willingness to just give up. And again, back against the wall, those are the kind of spots where maybe everything changes. Maybe we see the classic Jessica Andraj walking her down, getting in her face. But when she tried that against Yan Nan, she got brutally knocked out. And I think Yan Sha-Nan's a good fighter. I bet her against Mackenzie Dern. But Mackenzie Dern fought her hard for five rounds, and it could have been a draw. Probably should have been. So it's like that's one girl's experience, and the other girl got flatline KO'd in the first round, chasing her around like a fool. And if that was the first time she had done that, I would say, okay, no problem. She's done that multiple times, so she doesn't have the striking. I feel that she used to in terms of uh, just landing cleanly on her opponents. I would have expected more competitive fights with all these women, including Blanchfield. Like I was big on Blanchfield, Rich, but I wasn't thinking Blanchfield's going to go out there and look like a Muay Thai expert and land uh, you know more shots in the first round. I'm like. I was blown away by what I've been seeing from Andraj And I just think it's a lack of motivation to your point, going to Vegas. I just haven't heard the best reports either about how the training's going. And, She's putting herself there to be a body. I think she might transition to being a coach. Uh, If you remember, a lot of the Piranha Valley Tudo uh, fighters, the team she represents, Denise Gomes and a few of these women, they transitioned out to Vegas as a big unit. The reason I bet her by sub against Amanda Lemos besides Lemos is that she had been working at a purely jiu-jitsu gym in Vegas for, for some time before that. So now she's doing a bunch of cross training. She's trying to get back on track, find that footing. But at 32 years of age, when you've already been a champion, when you've already fought at three weight classes, and you're looking for answers, Mackenzie Dern just seems like the wrong person to fight to me. Because Mackenzie is dangerous everywhere. I know that people don't want to hear that, but I do think she's dangerous on the feet, and I think on the mat she's lethal. Tisha Torres had to like sit there and just like not do anything for a very long time to avoid being Kamara in that fight. So there's a lot of these fights that have been on on the precipice edge of getting finished that Dern hasn't transitioned, and I think this aggression that's turned on in her brain. Good idea against Jessica Andrage. Get her to the ground as quick as possible, create any kind of grappling exchange, and look for the finish. And we have seen that against Angela Hill, Hill has been working on her grappling. She's been improving in that phase for sure. And Dern got her into some of these positions where, uh, to your point, Angela Hill attempted a choke on Mackenzie Dern that didn't get registered. So I do think there's some merit to it. But in all those transitions, Dern was just one step ahead and always was getting to better positions. And I feel like Angela Hill, her, her like, um, best attribute is that she just fights like a dog and never gives up. Whereas Jessica Andraj, almost every fight she loses in her career is correlated with the under two and a half rounds. She gets finished. She just, when things start to go poorly, if, if a fight's not going her way, they normally just go off the rails completely. So that's my biggest, um, worry for Andraj here, but should be a fun and honest scrap, especially in that first round. Um, I could see either woman landing a knockdown, right. But I just think that because of that lethality of the ground game, I think Andrade is going to have to show Dern a little bit more respect here. And I think on the other side, Dern has stopped showing people respect. I thought that was the message of the Angela Hill fight. And I think if she does that here, she could position herself for a really big fight next up. So, um, I do think fun fight, fun scrap, give me Mackenzie Dern. Uh, and I think it's a TKO, but I said Uh, that that last time. time
1: Yeah, I just mentioned a couple of things. I want to go on tape and be bold and say I have bet the draw, man. I put five dollars on it for four fifty. Um, I do get weird vibes about this fight. I do think it goes the distance. I do think Dern won't get a submission. Um, you know, they're friends, and usually when we see that, it's a sparring match, some bullshit. I don't think Dern will get takedowns anyway. I don't think she's going to be tenacious in this fight because they're friends. So I can see it going to decision. I can see some bullshit happening just so Jessica Andraj isn't on a four fight losing streak. And, you know, she doesn't lose any stock and uh, neither does Dern, man. But um, obviously I'm not tipping that to anybody or telling anyone to follow. I'm just uh, stating my case, man.
0: We love a nice shot on the draw and we get them every so often. So, um, I I don't mind that shot, but for me, thinking that Dern probably gets it done, probably gets it done ITD. But to Richard's point, you know, if it turns into that sparring vibe, that atmosphere, it is two Brazilian ladies. Um, I know people like to jab fun at Mackenzie Dern, but um, she also did the training camp with her father, Megaton Diaz. I'm sure that a lot of the focus here was on the grappling uh, and the jiu-jitsu portion. Um, So next up, man, we got this heavyweight co-main event. Everybody smash the like if you have not already because we got two great fights to talk about. They're both for titles and we got Sergei Pavlovich taking on Tom Aspinall here. I expect a very fun fight here, Rich. I expect two guys that are both willing to throw down in the middle of the cage. But, um, you know, I did my, my tape study, my due diligence on this fight. And, you know, I'm going to do a little bit more because I haven't placed any bets or anything, but my first look was on Sergei Pavlovich. And, you know, I've been very high on Sergei Pavlovich from the outset Uh, I think he's got really good skills, you know. I think that people hold it against him, that Alistair Overeem fight is back in 2018, right? Um, And he was a much younger guy. I think that what people miss sometimes is the the fundamentals of wrestling, right? You got to know the specific styles. A Greco-Roman wrestler is used to people not being able to touch their feet. And so when you get into a uh, grappling exchange with a Thai fighter, Right In MMA, and your experience is not with many guys that are looking to just off-balance you from the clinch, that's a really awkward style. Wrestlers can get taken down by Thai fighters because they don't wrestle. They do tied style takedowns, trips, uh, kicking your foot out from under you. It's about timing. It's about off-balance. It resembles judo in some ways. It's a foul to touch the legs in Greco-Roman wrestling, okay? So if you guys haven't watched, if you don't understand it, this is why you don't see many guys from Greco-Roman. Marco Madsen is an example of somebody that has transitioned from that style, right? There are examples, but they're few and far between. Matt Lindland, another example. Most of the time, guys that have a Greco-Roman skill set, the way that they leverage that in the UFC is that they push people against the fence and they grab a hold of them up top and they're very strong and they're hard to buck off that's what they do well. Greco-Roman is about tie-ups, it's about getting a hold of people, it's about upper body work. So now that we've established that, you look at Sergey Pavlovich, he comes into a UFC debut against Alistair Overeem of all people, who by the way is an elite fighter. Are people forgetting this? Like Alistair Overeem was fighting for world titles like 2 years before that, right? He's been on all the steroids throughout his career. You see him shrink by 3 times when he gets out of fighting. And again, God bless him for it, nothing wrong with that, but Alistair Obrecht got the jump on him by taking him by surprise. You know, Pavlovich thinks I got this world-class kickboxer. I'm going to go out there and box with him. I'm going to knock him out. He gets taken down from the clinch and beat up by a guy who was way more experienced in a UFC co-main event. And I think he panicked. He's underneath Alistair. He's like, oh my God, what's happening? Everything got to him real quick. Now he's had a lot more fights and granted, he hasn't had as much octagon time as I would like. I would like to see him have more extended fights, but the problem is Rich, you can't extend a fight if the other guy dies in the first round. So Every fight that he's had in the UFC has ended via KO in round one. One time it went against him. Every other time it's gone for him. And you look at the guys he's fought. I think he's fought a better quality of competition in the UFC than Tom Aspinall. The exception to that rule is Alexander Volkov. I didn't think it was a great performance from Volkov, but here's the other thing. Volkov, like Diego Lopez at featherweight, is a big, tall guy, string bean. That's why he gets taken down all the time. Um, you know. And Volkov typically has good takedown defense because heavyweights stink. But Aspinall actually was a little bit fast and just got to his takedowns quickly. He did the same thing against Arlovsky, right? All of a sudden, in a fight that was striking and starting to go poorly, right? Starting to maybe turn against him. He looked tired at the end of round one. He looked like he was getting hit clean at the beginning of round two. By the way, here's another problem, Rich. High-fiving every two seconds. It, like one of my, my pet peeves of fighters, right? Be friends after. This is a fight. This is a scrap. Don't. I don't need you to be best friends with the guy halfway through the fight. And Aspinall unloaded a clip, tried to take him out of there a guy who's been finished via TKO a million times in his career. No, no disrespect to the legend, but unloaded on him. It just couldn't get him out. I'm like, that's a concern for me. You know, take like five free shots to the head on Andre you're not taking the the uh, show out where uh, biggie boy puts one hand on him and the guy just face plants uh, into his cereal bowl. So I'm just like, huh? Uh, I look at this and I say, Sergei Pavlovich, who's gone to decision? Sergei, uh, who has a, a more proven record over 15 minutes? Sergey? not in the UFC, but neither guy has that in the UFC who has been submitted in meme like fashion. It's not Sergei Pavlovich. So I'm looking at all these things and I'm like the big, scary Russian refrigerator who has been wrestling at American top team where they don't treat it like Greco Roman, right? They don't, they're not going to treat it like a leg foul. They're going to shoot takedowns on his legs and get him prepared. So I'm like, This guy who hits like a truck, and by the way, in the Curtis Blades fight, he took what? 10, 15 straights right to the chin and seemed fine. Like his chin looked absolutely fine despite taking clean punches at heavyweight. Curtis Blades sent Chris Dawkins to the land of wind and ghosts. I was there, right? The guy can hit hard when he throws. He broke uh, Chris Dawkins' confidence, right? A guy who was on a four-fight knockout streak sent him away not with wrestling with striking right curtis blades can strike who was beating up who in the Derek lewis fight curtis blades was landing on Derek lewis then he shot a takedown out of desperation because he doesn't always do the best brain thinking and he got knocked out but the same thing could be said when you look back at Derek lewis in that fight he landed a couple shots on pavlovich pavlovich was unaffected walking him down staying in his face and presenting him a lot of challenges with the boxing but you look back rich and he hasn't had to do anything but box in his last six fights and he's easily dispatched everybody, but he has shown in the past in his regional tape that I watched that he could wrestle, that he could pick guys up and send them ass over tea kettle, that he's a big strong guy, that his hips are not bad. I saw a guy get in on a single leg, have him in a dangerous spot, sprawl, spin behind, like just looked like he had an idea of how to wrestle fundamentally. That was in his youth or in his professional debut. That was in 2014. I think that this guy, Sergei Pavlovich, has been training with the right people. I think he's put himself in the right situations. And he was preparing for this date, something else that I look for. And Tom Aspinall, a guy that is one fight removed. Everybody wants to talk about Yuri's surgery. Nobody wants to talk about Aspinall's surgery, a knee repair. By the way, in a fight where he got diddy-bopped, he got dropped on the exchange where he hurt his knee. So everybody wants to say, oh, he hurt his knee. Yeah, but he also got dropped as he got pushed backwards. So I think Aspinall is a good fighter. I go back and I watch his tape. What I see from him is he's fast at heavyweight. That's his speed, uh, or excuse me, speed is his biggest attribute. He takes guys to the ground fast. They don't expect it. He mixes up the ground game at heavyweight. Most guys don't do that. So those are the things that are real positives about his game. His clinch work is solid. He throws knees to the body. He uses that to open up the elbows upstairs. I think that that's smart, and I think he's used it to great effect. Two knockouts in the UFC, the exact same combination. But then I look at the fact that he's beating a lot of guys that aren't very athletic. And I say to myself, what about somebody that can resist? What about somebody that could take his shots and keep coming forward? Or somebody that could get taken down and maybe not get finished instantly? Or somebody that could stuff takedowns? And no, I need to stay heavy in my stance. I need to prepare for this guy to try and take me down. And I need to, you know, leverage the fact that I can come forward, take a shot, and give one. And I hit really, really hard. So um, for me, Sergey Pavlovich or pass. How do you feel, Rich?
1: Shit, man, that was a convincing argument. Um, Mine isn't as deep as that. I just think that Tom is a fake, to be honest, in short. Uh, I'm sick of Bisping throwing all this shit down our throat on fight week. You know, it's eight days' notice. I'll tell you what, it it wasn't on eight days' notice. Tom knew about this fight a while ago. Um, This is like a fucking, you know, some bullshit from the UFC. But yeah they're trying to push this cute little narrative you know bis being doing it on eight days tom is going to do it on eight days but um you know tom nearly quit the sport twice on two separate occasions i watched the uh, breakdown uh video the countdown video and the embedded he nearly quit the sport twice when he uh hit his leg against curtis blades he said he almost considered retiring again i think he's going to get finished He's going to lose the um, the fight on Saturday and probably talk about retiring again. You know, he's reached the height of the UFC now and I think if he doesn't get the belt, um, he won't want to work his way back up. I agree with everything you said about um, Pavlovich, man. This, uh, you know, Tom the Great Wrestler is very overstated. Go and watch the takedown that he landed on Arlovski to get the submission. It was disgusting. He kind of just fell into a double leg. Arlovski... Hasn't had, you know, the best takedown defense of late. You know, he is a bit washed. Um, let's be honest. And I just think he wasn't expecting it. And then he had this big six foot four fucker uh, going in low on his legs, and it, um, it got him down, man. But Tom isn't a technical, you know, wrestler going for single legs, double legs, running the pipe, all these fucking, you know, wrestling terms. We haven't seen it from him. We're not going to see it again. What's likely going to happen is. He's going to do, as Bisping has been telling us all week, he moves like a well wait, yeah. So he's going to stand in front of Pavlovich, do all this herky-jerky movement, throw some one-twos. He's going to get cracked with something like he's never been cracked before because the likes of Sergey Spivak, fucking Alan Bordeaux, Jake Collier, who didn't even have a chance because the fight ended before it started. You know he's going to get cracked like he's never been cracked before. He's not going to like it. He's probably going to go into a desperation takedown. It's going to get shrugged off. I can see him on bottom with Pav on top of him, just raining down punches in round two, round three at the most. So that's how I'm going to target the fight. Round two for Pav, and I'll sprinkle round three. Um, But Tom isn't the real deal, man. Uh, He trains with bombs in that Kabone gym with his fucking dad. He's got no sparring partners. Um, just local lads from the pub in England. Mick. Wyatt. Mick. Mick Parkin. Mick Parkin. That's the best it gets. While Pavlovich is it. At ATT. Shooting up all the fucking EPO in the world. Um, so, yeah. Pavlovich is the side. I miss the dog money. I'm going to target rain two or three. And, um, yeah. I just can't see Tom ever being chat. He's boring as fuck in these interviews. I hate to say it, but it's facts. Um, he's just got this one monotone voice of, like, You know, I can't wait to be champion. Um, Yeah, good luck with that because it ain't happening, mate. Go back home to your missus, your three kids, and, uh, you know, retire. That's that's the way I see it, man. I think he's just going to be so deflated. We won't see him again for a minute.
0: Rich, with the bold prediction, I got to just right off the top address this right here. Aspinall didn't get dropped, WTF. Liam lying. Daniel, if you want to disagree with me, brother, disagree with me. You want to say I'm lying, then you can uh find a, find different, a different show. show if you want if you want,
1: fuck Daniel off. He's pissing me off anyway. Just mad
0: him, man. So here's what I'll say, man. In terms of this, like he did get dropped. If you want, I'll go post the screenshots one for one. He gets hit with a one-two, falls backwards, leg goes. That's the exchange. So I watched it fucking an hour ago. You want to tell me I didn't see it? Want to tell me I don't I shouldn't believe my lying eyes. You could disagree with me about what happened, but you can't say I'm lying because you can go back and look and it's a fact. So that's the facts. Okay. he also got dropped in other fights. I can show fucking picture evidence. And now I'm going to on Twitter because he pissed me off. So much love and respect. Um, I appreciate you being here watching the show, but don't call me a liar unless you have the absolute receipts because you're dead wrong. Um, So, yeah, uh, we'll just take that for what it's worth. Um, and and we can move back along, but Yeah, overall, I think that Pavlovich is the side. I think Aspinall is a good fighter. Um, You know, me and Rich maybe disagree. I think Aspinall could come back. But yeah, I don't like somebody talking about considering retirement. And I do think that the knee injury is a potential factor when he goes out there against Marcin Taibora, who can't really bust a grape and doesn't win first rounds in the UFC, and he gets the win. That doesn't tell me as much about how he's going to do against a guy on the longest active knockout streak in the first round in the UFC. Daniel, I said I could take debate, no problem. But you called me a liar. You want to call me a liar? then i'm not going to take it very nicely i'm going to say things that aren't very nice all right so uh, i'm a very happy-go-lucky guy i'm happy to bring that energy to the show but you get the energy you give and if you want to give energy that i'm a liar then i'm going to give energy that i have fucking receipts each and every time pictures evidence every time so uh i'll i'll be bringing that to twitter at Picks fights go check that um we got a main event to break down so it's back to happy spirits it's back to the fact We got Yuri Prohaska back in the driver's seat, and I'm very fucking excited about it because Yuri is a fun fighter. I think, uh, you know, I put out a tweet a long time ago, guys in the UFC, active fighters with an incredible, um, you know, resume of highlight tape, just like you want to go watch these guys fight to get into the UFC. Yuri Prohaska is on that list for me. Only a handful of UFC fights. Go watch his career in Japan. The guy is like immune to putting on bad fights. He just goes out there and scraps 100% with everybody. My concern for Yuri, he's coming back off the longest layoff of anybody on the card, Rich, right? It's been a while since we've seen Yuri. He got that win for me, made me sweat it big time at minus 200, um, but he's fighting Alex Pereira here, big-time kickboxer, knockout power, impressive resume, incredible stuff from from Pereira over time. And I know that this is a pick that you're going to keep close to your vest, which I totally understand. So for this main event, I'll just give my analysis here, and then we'll give you a chance to – uh, let people know where they can find you, any closing thoughts you have on the card, anything else you want to get off your chest. But in terms of my breakdown for this fight, guys, I just think that we're in for a very competitive title fight. And I think that there are some intangibles in this fight that I look for. Number one, Yuri Prohaska has let his chin recover. You know, my biggest concern coming into this fight is that he could get clipped and knocked out. But what I know about him is he's a very durable guy historically. He's taken huge shots, continued fighting. When he gets hurt, his recoverability is phenomenal. And Daniel Cormier talked about this one time when he was uh, getting prepared to fight Stipe in the third fight. He said, listen, I knew it was going to be harder in fight number two because Stipe took so long between that first fight and the second fight. He said Stipe has given his chin a long time to recover, and it's not going to be easy like it was after fighting Francis to clip this guy on the chin. And so when I think about, um, you know, what Yuri brings to the table, he's a guy that will fight very hard for your money. I think that's why a lot of underdog bets have come in, which are speculative, right? Doctor said horrible injury and all this stuff. I'm not going to speculate about the injury because I frankly don't know. But when you have a fight with some unknowns, here's what I do know. Alex Pereira in his last fight looked very competitive with Jan Blachowicz, who's an elder statesman of the division, who's a guy that's probably not got many UFC fights left. And Jan Blachowicz took him down, easily took his back in the first round. And you could argue he deserved a 10-8 round one. I wouldn't necessarily get there, but if that's the case, he's probably looking at a draw. And that would have been another one for Blahovich in a row. So I think that you have two guys that had a very competitive fight, and they're both elder statesmen of the division. But they didn't put a title on the line in that fight. They had every opportunity to. If you remember, that was all the talk on Twitter. Throwing a title here. They didn't do it. And now they're doing it. And I think that that's because Yuri never lost a title. And he is coming back now to try and reclaim it. So I think it's a fascinating fight. I think it's a hell of a scrap. I think in terms of what Pereira does well, he's got one of the best left hooks in the history of the business. I think that he also is a guy that has excellent leg kicks. I think he's a guy that his wrestling and grappling has improved over time. But let's let's go back through the history of Alex Pereira and let's not get short-sighted here. When he fought Andreas Michaelidis, he lost the first round cleanly. He got taken down. He uh, you know, had a Khabib style uh leg lace right? Then he was behind him, punching him in the head. Then he's controlling him against the fence. Michelaitis guy just doesn't have cardio. So he was completely gassed at the four and a half minute mark, fouling him, just grabbing the fence, right? And you could see Michelaitis had nothing left to give. So Pereira comes out there jumping knee. That's all she wrote. You go back and look at the Bruno Silva fight. I mean, Bruno Silva, uh, and I'm just, I'm just going to ban this guy. Uh, He's talking so much. Um, But when you look at, at this guy over time, right? Pereira was getting into very competitive exchanges with Bruno Silva. And why? Is it because Bruno Silva's the most technical guy in the world? No, it's because he's confident in his power. It's because he's willing to come forward, throw, and get into exchanges. And so I'm looking at a fight here between two guys that are absolute wild men. I think the more technical striker is Alex Pereira, but I think the more unorthodox, difficult fighter to read is Yuri Prohaska. And I think that Prohaska, if there was to be wrestling and grappling in this fight, will have an advantage. People can think I'm silly for thinking that, but Number one, from a defensive standpoint, he's shown good fundamentals throughout his career. He's been very difficult for people to hold down, control, submit. When he gets taken down, he works very hard to get back up. So I don't think Pereira has much of a chance to leverage a grappling game plan against him. Whereas against Izzy, he could bail himself out with that at times. He could mix that in. Izzy doesn't like to wrestling grapple. He doesn't like to be in the clinch with Pereira either, who's big, strong, and physical. Yuri is all those things. So I just think that this is not a fight where it's an easy layup for Alex Pereira. Like a lot of people think, um, you know, and I do think Pereira has a chance to win the fight. He's a dangerous knockout artist. He's an incredible fighter, but I don't think he's a shoe in like a lot of people seem to think. Um, so Yuri Prohaska uh, is back. And I think, and new Yuri Prohaska uh, back like he never left. And I think he's going to get the win. And I think he's going to get the finish. So exciting stuff, Rich, but, uh, that's, that's the way I'm feeling. Gonna kick it back over to you. Any closing thoughts that you have on this card? Anything that you want to get off your chest and say to the people, the floor is yours, my man.
1: Yeah, two awesome uh, fights, man. The main and the co-main. Um, I think we're really being spoiled on this card. Even the prelims and the build-up we've got from Vola um against Benoit, um bazooka, you know, some really fun matchups. Um so yeah, really looking forward to it. Uh, sorry I can't give a breakdown on the main event. It's just not fair to the um patreon guys when i give like a 10 unit bet out um but yeah it's going to be a fun one man and uh yeah really looking forward to it
0: absolutely and guys what i want to stress before we get out of here is whether you ride with us you fade us whether you tail us whether you are indifferent entirely and you're just here for the analysis and the fun and the banter we welcome you here we appreciate you being here but Treat us with respect. You get the same respect back. Sharpest chat in the game. I think a lot of people have had um, great points in the chat all day. But when you come at us, we're going to come right back. Um, you know, we're still people at the end of the day. And I I take this stuff seriously, right? I do a lot of hard work. So if you're going to tell me I'm lying or that I didn't put in the work or that I didn't see what I saw, I'm going to let you know that I I really disagree strongly. So uh, for me, guys, you can find my work uh, in the description box below. If you're looking for the specifics, gave my thoughts on every fight here. We'll have uh, probably a post weigh-in show coming at you guys as well tomorrow. So if you're looking for that, make sure you get subscribed to the channel, make sure you hit that notification bell. So you always know when we're going live, make sure if you have thoughts, comments, concerns, questions, or bets that you want to get off your chest, go ahead and drop them in the comment section below really helps the show to grow. So thank you all so much for your support. Thank you very much to Chris V for the dono on the way out as well. He says Yuri for the dub. Good luck this weekend, fellas. Appreciate you, Chris, and uh, wishing you the very best. Thank you to everybody who's rocking with us. Bailey says 50 people ain't like. So get ahead and uh, drop a like before we go here. Last things I'll say, guys, uh, UFC 295 should be a banger. So fight fans, unite. Good guys versus the bookies each and every week. God bless you all. Enjoy those fights and come back next time. We're having all the same fun again. Take care, everybody.